Hello and welcome to the Back Page, a video games podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts and I'm joined by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's it going, Matthew? It's good. It's the end of the year. By the time you're listening to this, I'm probably um, morphed into my couch. I've grown. I've become one a bit like those mushroom men in The Last of Us who've <laughs> slowly crusted into the wall. That's very much the vibe I'm going for yeah. uh, this Christmas holidays. Yeah, so for me, uh, I was just watching The Mandalorian season finale yesterday. Again, time stamping the episode very firmly there. <laughs> And Tamara Morrison's um, reprisal of the Boba Fett role, where he looks slightly too chunky for the armour, slightly too overweight for the armour. Like, he looks good, but slightly overweight. That's my mood. I'm slightly overweight Boba Fett. (laughs) That's my end of 2020 vibe. Nice. So, Matthew, it's been a shitty year, and every podcast I've listened to doing a review of the year is obsessed with dwelling on the ways in which their chosen subject has morphed as a result of a kind of pandemic year. And I don't think that applies as much to video games, where it's basically been a slow trickle of games that have been in the works for years and years, because that's how video games work. But I was curious to know if you thought it was a great year for games, or merely a good year. So, as part of this episode that we'll get to later, we've come up with top ten lists. Um, So I spent a lot of time looking over everything and going back over things I'd written and just reminding myself what I actually thought of some of the things from earlier in the year. Um, I kind of I kind of struggled in that I had a, a mass of stuff that I quite liked to... Uh, it sort of scaled from I quite liked it all the way up to, you know, I thought it was pretty damn good. But there was, there was no, like, classic knockout sort of 10 out of 10 punch for me this year, where normally there is. Um, I felt like I was quite happy and I played a lot of stuff I liked. Games kept me busy enough this year. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't think it was like necessarily like a stellar year, just a solid year. Yeah. I've been on, um, Tech Radar covering games this year a little bit, mostly covering the kind of console launches. And the thing that I've noticed is that basically everyone use games as a way to escape this year and every console you can imagine sold out this year and even like the uh, oculus quest 2 vr headset just sold out because people were determined to have anything um, (laughs) i like the idea even the oculus quest 2 (laughs) even a vr helmet that's how desperate people were (laughs) well i do think the pandemic has been like surprisingly good for vr just in terms of people really sort of seeing the merit of it but yeah i do think it's partly motivated by the ps5 and the xbox series x selling out but yeah, in this kind of in, in assembling a sort of review of the year podcast, I made a top ten too, and I would say that probably only four of the ten games are games I truly love this year. Mm. Uh, I'm curious if your actual habits around games changed this year, Matthew. Did did anything kind of like warp the types of games you were playing? Was there anything about the circumstances of this year that led you to different types of games? Not really. I mean, the kind of the, the the sad truth of my life is that a lot of my gaming habits are like dictated by the job. You know, I I play stuff for work, so I kind of play it to the rhythm that they come out. So things get more or less time based on how busy they are. Um, obviously, my circumstances changed a bit this year in that I got shit canned. Um, I believe is the phrase. Um, so I've had a bit more a bit more spare time. Hilariously, the first thing I chose to play after I was made redundant uh was <laughs> assassin's creed syndicate uh <laughs> from like whenever that was five years ago 
Yeah, 2015. Um, I, I suddenly had this thing in my head saying, we should play all the Assassin's Creed games. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I kind of got halfway through that and then decided that was a duff plan, and then review season kicked off. Um, so I'd say no. I, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this. Like, I, I, I haven't kind of... I don't dip into a lot of kind of games as service games. I don't really have like a long ongoing relationship with any one game. So this year's kind of felt quite similar to, to other years. Um, if I'd still had my job, and, and I guess I'd had my job for enough this year that I can speak to this. One thing I did like this year uh, as a journalist was that because of a lack of travel, the games industry had to adapt in quite major ways to actually get us the games to preview or whatnot and i didn't know that they were going to do that and then they did so a lot of people started streaming demos for example mm. which actually is kind of how it should have always been done rather than like flying 30 journalists to paris you know just for us to play like an hour of the division two having us sit at home and play you know five hours of the assassin of assassin's creed valhalla uh, in an early build without all that extra cost and stuff i wouldn't be surprised if that stuff continued on like it it's kind of annoying that this year sort of the job almost became um kind of like a, well for a hermit like me anyway like an ideal version of itself um so that's a habit i would like to see continue on into the future just nice easy access yeah. let's let's not be wasteful although i obviously when you do get to go to paris um you get to go to some nice restaurants and uh, eat uh, onion pies, um, which is something I did on on a very memorable Division Two trip. Was that the press trip where uh, we were sat in a cold garage and I complained all day? That <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you were just complaining about how cold the the garage was, and I was just dealing with wicked, wicked heartburn th- from the aforementioned onion pie. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't even know onion pie was a thing until that press trip, but um, yeah. Yeah, I also recall being annoyed at there was an a, there was one room for the journalists, which was just the cold garage, and there was some drinks and food. And then the influencers, quote unquote, went off to another room to do some kind of assault course thing to film well, it for their YouTube channels or whatever. Yeah, they always treat influencers sort of a bit like children. You know, we come along and just play the game and sit in a garage. They they feel like influencers need to have a lot of flashy stuff to kind of keep their their minds occupied. <laughs> I guess otherwise they'll start dunking on you with memes. <laughs> um, so. They'll, yeah, it's, they'll bully it's a, it's a dilemma. Me. They'll jeer us for being in our 30s. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree with you, actually. Ubisoft's been particularly good for setting up those game demos this year. I don't think everyone has. Like, I don't think there were any PS5 game demos before that console launch, for right. example. Microsoft sent out the Xbox super early, and uh, good on them for doing that. Uh, but um, Ubisoft, I think, actually made sure people could play their games and via streaming and, um, yeah. and have some good preview impressions. Yeah, it's like, it, was, it was good. Yeah, I feel like we had as good access or ironically better access to like assassin's creed and watchdog legions than we probably would have had if this was a normal year and they had to make up the lists of who they were going to invite to fly over to wherever you know it just felt everything felt much more doable um this year yeah, yeah it's good yeah when i saw outlets kind of grousing about like we didn't get access to this game it's sort of i kind of had a bit more sympathy because i thought well there is no finite limit on how much you can sort of stream a game to someone from an, an office. So, say a developer of a big AAA game this year uh, decided not to let some outlets play it before release, then yeah. it's it feels more like a calculated decision. So, um, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting to see how that's kind of played out. But, uh, yeah, so aside from that side of things, Matthew... Um, I kind of I've just found that my habits this year have been morphed by 
the experience of being from home. So I'm historically I always play single player games. Yeah, multiplayer's only ever been a sort of an aside thing. Where I know like Rocket League, for example, is a multiplayer game I got into because you could play a game in five minutes and it was very cathartic and it booted really fast on my ps4 so yeah that was the reason i played that i don't know if i loved rocket league it was just very addictive but this year so late last year i started playing more multiplayer games i had a regular sea of thieves session with a few um ex-pc gamer colleagues and this year that sort of became the centerpiece of my social life because there was Mm. nothing else to do so Yes, Sea of Thieves for a long time this year was just, it was like the hangout space game. It was like going to the pub, like, you know, I'd go to like the off license and buy three chocolate beers and then just sit on a Thursday night and play Sea of Thieves in my pants and that and doing the emotes in the game and drinking grog in the game and vomiting. That was the experience of going to the pub this year, it just was. And then that led me down a hole of more multiplayer games and this will be reflected in my top 10 list, but I definitely leaned into the more social side of games this year, but over time found that it wasn't really the same as a physical hangout, and I've been dialing it back to now I just really play games one night a week with friends rather than right. like three nights a week. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's how my habits have changed this year. I went in with such good intentions this year of thinking, I'm going to complete every fucking game that I've had <laughs> in my backlog because I'm stuck indoors, I might as well finish Majora's Mask. I might as well just do that <laughs> this year. But I, I didn't. I, uh, I didn't. I really thought I would. But I feel like when you're confronted with nothing but st- being stuck indoors, you're not necessarily in the mood to do all the things you think you want to do. Because yeah. your desires and, and thoughts just change. They're just warped by the experience of being inside so much. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was my experience i also got into a very strange habit of hoarding old gamecube games on ebay this year (laughs) so i bought lord of the rings the third age two weeks ago and i don't really know why oh well that was why because someone in a game faq's post on a forum years ago said it's a bit like final fantasy 10 and i thought (laughs) i may or may not play that at some point therefore i bought the game and uh that sums up the sort of like slow madness that i've (laughs) sunk into (laughs) I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but... Um. Uh, no, I just, you know, seek help, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask then on that subject, was there any type of game specifically that makes more sense this year than other years for you? Yeah, I, I'm trying to work out if this is just coincidence or, you know, an effect of the year, but I, I played quite a lot of games where, like, meticulous planning and order and kind of control... Are, are big factors and i really enjoyed them and i don't know if that's like psychologically me trying to kind of impose order onto chaos and i say that it's weird like the chaos is outside my house inside my house things have felt relatively relatively safe and chilled um so i mean uh, i don't know i uh, the, the challenge with this writing this year was not to make everything about covid because there was this terrible habit, and I think most people did it, of like talking about COVID as in like metaphors or trying to tie their game experience in, just like I did just then by saying games about restoring order made me feel good. And looking back on some of those reviews, I think they might sound a bit weird in a couple of years' time, and this is hopefully in the past. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I like I said, I, I feel like the kind of games which would support you 
throughout a year of lockdown would probably be those online games, like you said, and, and kind of games and services. And I didn't really still, even in these conditions, didn't kind of get into any of them. Um, I definitely reconnected with a, a couple of distant friends in, in a few multiplayer games early on in lockdown where everyone was like really keen to do you know family zoom chats and all that um i played a stretch of hunt showdown Hmm. um with one of my friends in the states and that was really really fun but still it didn't it didn't kind of keep up we kind of did it for a couple of weeks and then kind of it sort of filtered out so what what about you did your habits change or or do you think that's that's mainly your like multiplayer thrust i think that yeah, that multiplayer thing is the main thing. I think I also really value the idea of service games that you could play in an almost kind of like idle way where, you know, you just farm some Destiny bounties or whatever and then that was the game you played that day. And, uh, you know, just having it, on the, having it on while I'm listening to a podcast. I feel like I did a lot of that this year. Yeah. And that's fine, I think. And it, that I think that just speaks to... I want to do something just to to not think about this situation. This is like staring at the ceiling, except I'm playing a computer game technically. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All those hundreds of people who've worked to bring you this visceral, immersive experience, which you have now likened to staring at the ceiling. <laughs> well, to be honest, with Destiny 2, I was uh, farming bounties on Europa, the ice planet, a few weeks ago. And my girlfriend was watching me play and said, does anything happen in this game? And I was there thinking... <laughs> It does, but not that often. Like, <laughs> surprisingly not often. I was thinking about how people talk about the um, Halo, I think it's like 30 or 60 seconds of action, yeah. followed by a pause. Destiny is not that. There's like, I don't know, there's maybe about a minute per <laughs> per hour where it gets really intense. Otherwise, it's all pretty like switch your brain off and just shoot at things. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure that uh, philosophy quite applies there. But uh, yeah, that was that was about it. But towards the end of this year, I am now really in the mood for single player games. So I've I've cleared my schedule. I've binned off several friends. I'm now <laughs> I'm now just uh, focused on finishing a bunch of the games I kind of missed this year. And as we get into the top tens. There's definitely some glaring omissions in there, and we'll talk a bit about our pile of shame for this year at the end mm. of the year. But I'm not that impressed by my list. It, it's a true reflection of what I played this year, but yeah, it's not. Uh, there's a loads of games on um, Twitter that people talk about <coughs> that I just have not played this year. So Hades is not in my list, for example. Hades being a Diablo-like, uh, roguelike sort of hack and slash game with loot and uh, sexy Greek gods, I'm told, and that, <laughs> that's something that I just. They just bypass me this year. I own it, and I, I've been meaning to play it, but I just haven't. So there's quite a few of those types of games this year. So I hope people aren't too disappointed by my slightly odd choices. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to preface your top ten. No, I, 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 I'd go for a similar vibe. Like there is a there is a top ten structure, and I have tried doing it in order of of preference. You know, with with one obviously being the best. But I um a lot of these are pretty interchangeable. Like they're just a mass of things that I enjoyed. Um, yeah, it's, 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 my, it's my preface. Hmm, okay, good stuff. Well, we'll take a short break then, Matthew, in which some music will play, and then we'll come back and talk about our top tens. Welcome back, Matthew. 
Oh, well, thanks for having me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, so we're going to get into our top 10 games of the year now. We're going to start with you, Matthew, with your number 10, and then we'll alternate, um, as they do in Chet and John's reassuringly finite gaming playlist, which we stole this from. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, kick us off. Yeah, so uh, until a couple of days ago, my number 10 was Tetris Effect Connected, um, which I absolutely adore. Um, I wrote a review of it for uh, VGC, Andy Robinson's uh, game site, and you can read my thoughts there. Basically, Tetris Effect, fantastic. I didn't play it when it came out a couple of years ago. I only got round to it now. They've added an absolutely stonking co-op multiplayer mode, uh, which I love, but that got knocked off by the the surprise and recent release of Grindstone on the Switch, which is the Capybara uh, monster mashing puzzler. Are you aware of this game, Sam? Uh, I know the name, but uh, the, it's not a very evocative title. So <laughs> yeah, why don't so, you uh, yeah, talk me through it? Grindstone was the secret star of the Apple Arcade launch lineup. I'd argue it's probably the best game on Apple Arcade full stop. Um, I played it last year when Apple Arcade launched. That was last year, wasn't it? It wasn't Ooh. earlier this year. Oh, yes, I don't know, actually. Um, yeah, it, it had to be last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's a kind of grid-based puzzle game where you are a barbarian who has to chop through these colourful monsters and you can move in, you know, up, down, left, right, or diagonals, and you have to chain together like-coloured monsters. And when you chain together ten monsters of the same colour, it creates a little rainbow gem, which, if you then pick that up, uh, you can change colour of your chain. So the the idea is to basically chain as many of these monsters together uh, using these rainbow stones to kind of build insane combos. Uh, And then it kind of piles on all kinds of interesting rules so there are bits of scenery that you can only destroy if the chain is a certain length before you reach it so it will say like this wooden barrier you need to have killed five monsters and then you can break through this because you're kind of building up speed and momentum as you work through the chain and then there are a certain number of monsters you have to kill to beat the level and kind of lead through this gate but if you hang around more dangerous monsters turn up but there's also chests and you can collect keys to unlock the chests and get resources and then you get upgrade materials and you build items which play into advanced tactics um it has this absolutely amazing sense of style and momentum in that when you nail uh, a massive chain and it's a very kind of casual game in terms of like there's no time or anything you can sit there and really plot your movement around this grid but the actual uh when you trigger it and it plays out it is just one of the most exciting kind of puzzle reactions even though you know exactly how it's going to play out like the animation of him chopping through and he gets faster and all the sounds are blinging and it's one of the few games where like the better you play and the longer a chain you build the reward is just this huge feedback rush um, which I really love. And I guess it's also sort of similar for Tetris in a way, like when you're nailing kind of line after line in that game, it, it really kind of comes to life with audio and sound. But this has got this kind of cartoon charm to it. Um, it's incredibly Moorish. Um, Capybara uh, are probably best known for, well, to me anyway, for Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which is an absolutely killer kind of match three meets strategy game. A real 
original i'd say like a real kind of hybrid of stuff that comes out completely its own thing it will probably feature very highly uh when we talk about 2008 i think is when it came out so when we get to that list feature down the line um and this has got a similar thing you know that that there's a lot of uh bits to it that look familiar that you'll kind of recognize but it's just pieced together in a really sort of coherent fun way incredibly addictive um i love that it's on switch because I've, I've only got an apple arcade on an apple tv i don't have an iphone or anything but this is like a portable game you know it's designed to be played in little bursts so yes it came out on switch last week i think um so i'm kind of crowbarring in a pick that would have been one of my games from last year um and uh yeah it's it's just it's fantastic that's fine i respect that matthew i forgot that cappy uh, games made uh below that wasn't exactly warmly received in 2018. Yeah, they spent so long on that. A long, long time. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it almost felt like it was announced at launch of Xbox. It was. E- yeah, right. E3, E3 2013 it was announced. And it's kind of dominated, and it was quite different from everything else they made. And then this one sort of seemed to arrive out of nowhere, and it just... This is to me is like classic Capybara. This is this is everything that's really great about that studio. I quite liked Below, but it was pretty experimental and a, a bit of a, a bit of a change of pace for them. But this, yeah, this this was just perfect. I'm, I'm really, I was really worried it was going to be locked in Apple Arcade forever. Mm. Um, so I'm glad that it's kind of getting out there. Um, you know, it's quite pricey for like a, you know, something that you may consider a phone game. I think it's about fifteen pounds on the Switch, but. There's hundreds and hundreds of levels. I've never finished the original, you know, when I was playing on Apple Arcade. It's an absolutely mammoth, just endless game. And, yeah, just a a really great puzzler. But Tetris Effect is also good. Yeah, I like that the uh, Apple Arcade thing means that developers don't seem to be locked into an exclusivity agreement other than, like, a timed exclusivity agreement at most, uh, seemingly. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh... It's been a bit of a weird one, that. I was really excited about it at launch, to the point that I went out and bought one of those silly Apple TV boxes just because there was exclusive stuff I really wanted to play on it. But it hasn't really delivered much for me this year. Like, I've somehow... I think I've kept my sub up. Yeah, I have kept a sub up to it. But, um, yeah, that's that's been one of the more disappointing developments of the year, that, that that service seemed to launch big and then kind of slightly fade away. Yeah, this is a bit... This is sort of Apple's thing somewhat with services, I would say, like just as someone who's covered Apple TV a bit and they've had uh, a few sort of good TV shows on their streaming service, Apple TV Plus, but uh, nothing like truly amazing. And yeah, it doesn't feel like something people talk about that much until there's like a new Sofia Coppola film. And it feels like they're in the same pattern of that with Apple Arcade, where one thing might come along you hear about every few weeks or every few months or whatever. But that's kind of it, you know. Um, Grindstone is very much the uh, on the town or on the rocks or whatever it's called of <laughs> uh, of, of the Apple arcades. It's um, a really beautiful looking game. I was looking up screenshots when you were talking about it because I'd really never heard of it. Like, um, and uh, I would say that the little squares in it remind me a bit of Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine or Columns, as I'm sure you love to talk about <laughs> that game. Being a big yeah, Sega fan yeah. that you are, notoriously, um, it, it's got a, it's got a really good comic energy to it, and it's kind of quite comically gory as well. Everything sort of explodes into meaty chunks but it's it's yeah it's re- it's really smart just a, a delight oh cool they look like slightly fucked up etsy pokemon i would say that's <laughs> yeah. how i describe the yeah uh, they sort of remind me of like germs a bit yeah they sort of look like bacteria 
Yeah, speaking of bacteria, actually this doesn't quite work because you're actually playing a tentacle monster. Uh, Carrion is my number 10 oh. by Phobia Games. I know you've played this too, Matthew. Yeah. I think I haven't quite finished this, but I think I'm pretty close to the end. It's a Metroidvania game published by Devolver Digital, uh, who seem to have reasonably good taste in the stuff that they pick up and uh, help promote. And yeah, I you play uh, this sort of tentacled monster that's made of like decaying flesh, going through this facility, um, killing sort of guards and scientists and sort of expanding and trying to escape going into these uh, different new areas very traditional sort of metroidvania structure but it looks amazing it's 2d pixel art game but obviously augmented by sort of modern visual effects and so the way your sort of red uh, sort of pulsating kind of creature moves it kind of sticks tentacles to ceilings and uh, the movement is just really nice and like rotten to look at. It's a really nasty looking <laughs> game, and um, yeah, it, it, this is one of the games I played on Game Pass this year. I've, I've been subscribed to Game Pass for a year, and I think I own too many games for it to be truly worthwhile for me. So I might, I might pause it like mid next year until mm. some of the bigger Microsoft games come out on uh, PC. But yeah, I uh, I did nonetheless like this game. I don't have loads to say about it. Just a, a really good spin on a metroidvania when there are already so many of those around and uh yeah the perfect game pass game i think so i never i don't think i ever would have bought this unless it was in a humble bundle or it was on sale for like three quid in a steam sale um what yeah, do you think of it it just sort of yeah sort of gets in does what it says on the tin delivers quite big monster action quite quickly then kind of doesn't outstay its welcome yeah um i like that when it gets different sizes it has different powers the big carrion blob monster also has slightly big exhausted boba fett energy (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure yeah that's that's probably why it resonates with you (laughs) it's uh it's it's really kind of creepy how they they bring it together so you've got like this sonar ability to to find where your objectives are and it's sort of like i know the the idea that you're your moving tentacle monster thing is like this living thing that's actually quite intelligent is it's quite disturbing and the way that um body parts just hacked off um <laughs> when you like attack enemies is just it's really something so i i rate this game it's not that long i don't think i think i'm near the end and it's yeah. uh yeah i just a really good pace breaker between sort of other bigger games i think definitely um, so, definitely so what's your number nine matthew uh, my number nine is unto the end which is probably one of them probably the most obscure game on my list i'd say um, this is from Two-Ton Studios. I played it on PC. It's also on, I think, everything, Xbox, which definitely on Game Pass. Um, it's a little 2D side-on, I want to call it a hack and slasher. That probably paints an incorrect picture of it. It's probably better described as kind of limbo meets like another world. Well, actually, they're quite similar in themselves. It's kind of got the harder edge of another world. This game kills you quite quickly, and it's got combat, unlike Limbo. So it's a kind of 2D adventure, quite wordless. You just sort of move through this world. Um, you have to kind of sort of tease out all these kind of weird sort of arcane secrets. Um, but it also has this very sort of thorough combat system, which is sort of built around kind of blocking high and low and reading enemy tells kind of parrying and then hitting back so i guess limbo another world original prince of persia kind of mix it all together it's absolutely rock hard but it's not like a it's not like a dark souls where you know you have this kind of quite flexible combat system that you're dealing with it's quite rigid um the developer often likens it to kind of punch out 
in that it's got this very arcade, you know, when this monster does this, there is an exact response to it, and you just have to react quite quickly in the combat. But the combat's really fast. It kind of feels a bit kind of, um, like, desperate. It's a bit of a desperate scrabble for survival. You can drop your sword if they hit you hard enough, and then you're, like, scrabbling for your sword, and you you can throw a dagger, and then you have to pull it out of the monster before you can use it again. There's a lot of little things that make it feel quite kind of organic, that make you panic um you know there's a there's a large stretch of the game underground where where it's kind of lit by the torch in your hand and when you fight and you do like a heavy blow you have to drop the torch so you can only really see what's in the little pocket of light around you so these monsters will kind of retreat and they're on the kind of edges of the torch lights very atmospheric um very simple do 2d style some people really bounced off it and, and felt that it was a bit too trial and error um that it was just kind of going, no, you didn't work out the secret thing I want you to do. But I felt it was a bit more flexible than that. Um, I just thought it was very atmospheric. Again, one of these kind of like carrying is kind of a, a quite a small, you know, a small, shorter game that you can really kind of get through. But it, it has a lot of kind of weird, sort of idiosyncratic quirks that I really liked. Um, yeah, this this was this was this was interesting, and it's on Game Pass, and I really recommend you giving it a go on there because you kind of have to play it to kind of feel its quite unique rhythm. Yeah, it, I'm quite intrigued by uh, its really kind of nice, um, stark visual style. Your mm. character is quite small on screen, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems people have with it because you're trying to read these tells, but the monsters are very very small. So, you know, I think they are. Like they broadcast what they're going to do well enough, but it's yeah, it's it's not a game that like nannies you. You know, there's even a message at the start of the game that so it doesn't say like this game's going to kick your ass, but it says there's some unconventional stuff in this. It is deliberate. You know, we hope you kind of j- sort of click and gel with it because you know we're going for a kind of specific vibe. Um, I did click with it, but I know some people who really didn't and absolutely hated this game. But um, I, I think it's cool. Yeah, I would say that Game Pass is actually slightly underrated for how many indies it gets on there. Uh, you're going to get one or two massive releases a month, but then they've had quite a good steady supply of games like uh, Star Renegades is one I've got downloaded uh, yeah. at the moment, and CrossCode and stuff like that. And yeah, they seem to have some kind of deal with um, uh, the publishers of... Uh, I've forgotten the name of the publisher. They published a Night Call and oh, uh, raw fury raw fury yes yeah. and so all, most of their games seem to launch on day one on game pass so uh, yeah it's definitely been a, a good year for them providing newer types of experiences for people who might not necessarily pay like 15 sure. 20 quid all right cool so my number nine matthew is risk of rain 2 oh i don't know if you know this game I, i've it's a game that I like. I hear loads of people talking about. I've never played it if you put a gun to my head i couldn't really tell you what you do in it <laughs> yeah sure so it is a 3D shooter roguelike that you can play with up to four players. I think it's four anyway. And you go through these. I don't think the levels are procedurally generated. They're just randomly... The loot is randomly distributed, but right. the maps stay the same, I think. And you go through each level. Um, you look, you're look. you looking for an exit. And when you activate the exit, a boss arrives. You have to destroy the boss, and then you can move on to the next area. But the key thing is that you're hoarding these items as you go that add loads of different effects to your character so 
there's the basic ones that will improve your attack speed or your movement speed let you jump higher that sort of stuff but the ones you really want are the ones that are like for every x shot a sticky bomb will get thrown onto an enemy or now when you shoot an enemy they'll be set on fire because of um you've got you've picked up this gasoline thing or you've got like a rocket launcher on your right shoulder that will just um you know absolutely like rain down on enemies while you're fighting or Mm. when you open a chest fireworks will launch that hit enemies nearby and so you're kind of stacking up all these items so your very basic looking character um physically uh is wearing all of the items that you collect oh, cool. so yeah so by the end of the game you are just covered in stuff you're like the homer simpson car the video game <laughs> characters just really over designed and um yeah it's cool i've been playing this a lot with uh, my friend jay who kind of got me into it and i had a code kicking around for when i was on pc gamer and it was in early access for a while but it launched this year I think they've got some more big updates coming up. I don't think it's a great shooter, but it's got really nice movement. And the different character archetypes you can pick are, are really good. So you have a, a character who can do slow poison on enemies and is more melee-based. You, um, you're, The basic dude is a very zippy, uh, sort of like ranged fighter with low health. Mm. And so on and so forth. I just unlocked the final um, character who's called The Captain. And he's, he looks, he's got like a little sort of commissar sort of hat on. And he looks like he can fuck some shit up. So <laughs> nice. I'm, looking for, <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing as him. I think it is... It's just too hard on its normal difficulty setting. I, I don't think I'm very good at it, even though I've played it for 20 hours now. But um, it's a really, it's another really good co-op game that I think is um, a bit underrated and doesn't quite, even though I know it's sold well, doesn't quite get the same attention as some of the other big co-op games that people like to di- dip into. So, mm. yeah, Risk of Rain, I think you can buy a version on Steam that comes with multiple copies, and that's the way to do it, really. I, I don't necessarily think it'd be that enjoyable to play solo. But, right. uh, yeah, definitely one to share with friends. Um, nice. Is there any, like, persistent stuff in it? Or is it, is it every run you start with, you know, you're you're the same blank character or... Can you improve them as a base character? No, every time you start, it's the same, but the unlocking characters process takes a while. So basically, each time you unlock a new character, you've got a new build to try out. So you're getting closer and closer to figuring out how you personally will finish the game. So I think that works in lieu of any sort of um, persistence. Um, I just got the impression this year that Hades was massive because it was maybe the sort of the the roguelike that really got the balance of persistence to randomness like absolutely downright yeah you know which is i think is the thing which can scare people off i've only played a little bit of hades spoiler alert it doesn't feature in my list um but yeah i wonder if if what a lot of people clicked with was more like here's a here's like a roguelike for the masses yeah i think you might be right also i believe that people say that uh super giant spent uh, seemingly spent loads of money on voice acting so right. <laughs> there's loads of well-acted story that plays out across yeah. your multiple runs which you know if that's what the epic games store money gets you then hell it's worth it right the end result <laughs> is loads better so good for them um but yeah i am um, th- this does lack that and it's true that i don't really love roguelikes as much as i used to i mean i played a lot of ftl but i burned out on that as well mm. and i think that yeah, yeah you're right that having some kind of persistence just makes that um, that experience a bit more inviting. So, uh, mm. yeah. What's your number eight, Matthew? My number eight is Persona 5 Royal, mm. um, which arrived at just the right time. This came out a couple of days before my birthday this year. We were in lockdown. I was feeling quite glum. Um, I did the thing, the mortifying thing, which is asking for video games for my birthday when I'm 35. Um, and there is 
there's there's something. I, 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 listen, I'm, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on on any on any on the hobby or anyone involved in it, but there's something about like your wife's parents having to go onto Amazon and look up Persona Five Royal <laughs> <laughs> to buy you a copy, um, which is very very kind of them. But I I also like. You look at the cover art and think this is not something uh, an, an, an older person will look on and and look on me kindly for. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, and then I spent I took a week off or a week and a half off work and just sat there playing playing this um, absolutely fantastic uh, game. Um, Persona Five I played a fair chunk of when it originally came out, but then well you know it's absolutely massive and i just didn't have time for it um what i like about persona 5 royal is it it feels much faster moving um weirdly as they've added tons more stuff but they've importantly they've added um lots of kind of quality of life improvements that just make progression in that game a bit faster they've uh, i don't know if you know people listening to this are, are aware of the game it's kind of split between dungeon crawler and sort of social life sim and the decisions you make in the social life sim portion kind of improve you as a character and then you get the benefits of that when you're doing the kind of rp-ish rpg-ish combat in in the dungeons um and your day is stuck in these very sort of fixed phases where you can do certain things in certain phases and the important change here is they've added uh what, what to me feels like quite a lot of stuff to um like the, the the end of day social phase where normally you're too in in Persona Five you'd be too tired to do anything. Here there's a few more activities you can do in your room, so you just level up a lot faster. You begin to get through the kind of side character content a lot quicker. Um, so even though they've added stuff, you know you can also go to your flat and do like pull ups and stuff on the rafters. And there's a lot more automated stuff. You can ask people to do more stuff for you. It just it feels like a smoother game. Remove some of the remove some of the kind of the tedium and grind, and just gets on with, you know, the joy of Persona Five, which is a really cool, trendy thing. Too cool for me, probably. It's one of these games I play where I'm like, if I met any of these characters in real life, they absolutely fucking hate my guts. Like I'm such a square. If anything, I'd be one of the people with a mind palace that they have to go and cure. <laughs> What would your mind palace be in Persona, Matthew? Uh, it'd probably be something themed around like Heartburn and Rennie. <laughs> yeah, like a, a giant sort of like uh, heart, like decaying heart, sort of like with like Rennie patrolling uh, all yeah, times. Yeah, with like rivers of, sort of stomach acid. Yeah. That uh, they have to sort of take little gondolas along. <laughs> and they're just like, the whole time they're like, this guy's awful. Yeah. Um, uh. That's uh, amazingly vivid and so you <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if they're interested in doing another remake of this, uh, you know, I'm I'm up for DLC. Yeah, it's funny. When I I played the original Persona 5 with my girlfriend, and um, she's, <laughs> she always makes the joke that, like, if you had a mind palace, me and the kitty, which is the cat Morgana in the game, would have to go around, uh, like, hosing down your distorted desires. And I found that... <laughs> I felt that was such a funny way of describing. That's what she makes of me after being with me for several years. <laughs> I find that prospect really funny, the idea that she has to go in there and kind of give it a wash every now and then, my mind palace. Um, and yeah, so I was curious, actually, if this removed 
any of the kind of day limit stuff in that game which makes it a bit annoying where it's like oh okay i've done one thing this evening and the entire evening is gone which is basically what being an adult feels like but yeah in the game it makes it quite hard to you feel like there's a a real ceiling on getting stuff done um yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't so much it's it's more that you can do something after school and then you can do something like pre-bedtime and they've added a few more things that you can do like in your house or in this in in the kind of the neighborhood surrounding your house there's a there's a there's a few more bits and bobs um which yeah that's what adds to so you you can develop like you know you can watch tv and read a book you know you're not too tired to watch tv or whatever which i always thought was dumb um yeah like the tweaks are minor but they're noticeable and and you get to like the same point you got to in the game you know, if if you played the original, but you're you know much more developed. Um, they've also they've added quite a bit to the um, that kind of giant underground sort of subway labyrinth. Uh, is it Persona? No, it's oh. called Persona. Um, Mementos. Yes, yeah. Um, they've added like some extra sort of fetch questy stuff to give it a bit more shape. Um, it's pretty boring down there. Before. Yeah, it, it now just moves a lot faster. If anything, like it was a reasonably easy game before, and it's quite easy now. Like you can really storm it and get ahead of the difficulty curve yeah, know, very I've... very quickly. But I don't know. Do people play that game for super hard difficulty, or, or do oh. they just play it because they want to see like you know a cat wear a cool badge? They want to be a cool teenager in Shinjuku. That's what they yeah, want to do. Yeah. So and it does that, and there's a bit more of it. It's 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 super polished. Um, it does get to the point where I wonder, you know, if people, let, you know, who actually invests in Persona on original release because you know that they're going to do a much better version like a year later. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a curse. I'm probably not. You know, people seem to dig Persona Five. So. Yeah. I, I, if anything, I guess it probably makes it easier for them to bankroll future more ambitious games because uh, Persona Four. I don't think people necessarily remember that all of the kind of like dungeon crawly stuff is very rote compared to Persona 5, which obviously with the Mind Palace stuff has much more elaborate themed dungeons. And in Persona 4, it's just not nearly as interesting. All of the life sim stuff is really interesting and has been throughout the series. Persona 3 had good life stuff too. But where it feels like the money has gone into is into making these um, these really cool mind palaces to kind of unpick, as well as a sheer amount of story stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of works. If, if they make more money and people are willing to pay it, then good for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm glad to hear that's uh, on your list. So, what's, uh, what's your number eight? Yeah, my number eight is Sea of Thieves. Uh, oh, okay. So all of my games this year are from this year, apart from a few live service games that released earlier, but have constant updates. So... I think have to be part of the Game of the Year conversation just because they are an evergreen part of people's lives and they change so radically sometimes that they are different games from year to year. Yeah, And that's definitely true of all the games on my list this year, apart from Sea of Thieves, which I played just so much this year. I think it had to be on here. Um, but not that I blame Rare for this. It moves. It seems to change very, very slowly, mm. uh, which is fine because the fundamentals of Sea of Thieves are so good, just getting on a boat with friends and going off to do different adventures. Uh, the, I think there was some ghost boat stuff they added this year. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I think they've added some more stuff recently, but I um, I have burned out on this game so much. I'm, I've probably played about 100 or 200 hours of it uh, wow. at this point. Yeah, just a, I've, I'm very close to reaching pirate legend it's probably more like 100 hours pirate legend status i basically just have like three more levels to go with one of the trading companies and i've done it uh maybe i should do that before the end of the year so i can say i've achieved something in 2020 (laughs) yeah you became a pirate legend (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think that 
it's just it's it's not treated like a live service game in the sense that Fortnite has obviously like completely changed the game on this in terms of the investment in making a game feel radically different every season. Yeah, not it's not sustainable for all developers to do that. So I don't expect that from Rare. However, I'm glad to hear that they are moving to a I think some kind of season or battle pass model uh, next year, which will give people a different sort of continuity and different things to unlock and. That is what I think it's been lacking, is another good progression system that's not just, I've gone fishing, or I've done this quest, or I've yeah. handed in a chest to this trading company. It was very repetitive. So, yeah, I'm I'm pleased that it's been a few years since the game released, but they are finding ways to remix it. Because uh, it, it, it is a great game, and it is the quintessential Game Pass game, right? You don't need to buy it, you just have yeah. Game Pass, you play it with your friends. On whatever format you can play it on, it's all good. I love that... Uh because there's no like character development per se like anyone of any any ability or level there's no level cap to playing it you know mm. that like you know a person who's played 100 hours can play with a person who's played 1 hour and it's perfectly fine yeah i did have my best ever experience with it this year well we've been like bullied so many times by better players because like you say even though there is no te- there is no kind of like differential in terms of power there are hacks that people do to kind of like crawl in certain places or move quickly or whatever they oh, do. Right. But yeah, some players are just really good at like hiding on boats and stuff like that and finding quick ways to get on your ship and stuff. But this year, two players, we were just um, at a at a dock. We were we were circling in an, an island and two players from a little boat um, came to attack us. They were clearly very elite. They killed a whole bunch of us. But I managed to kind of escape and take a load of firebombs over to their boat and sink their ship while they were attacking ours. So once they were dead, they had no ship to return to. And that was a beautiful moment doing a kind of pincer movement where the rest of the crew were just opening fire from the ship, and I was just there swimming in the water, turning up behind them and just throwing firebomb after firebomb. Mm. And it was a really... It's really good at creating those kind of moments where, you know, you, you briefly feel heroic or whatever. Yeah. Um, we also did have a really nice experience this year where we forged a fragile alliance with this really nice group of um, Spanish players uh, who I think, like, I killed one of them in the first instance and was, like, because I was so wary of them because any time someone comes on your ship and pretends to be nice, they're basically <laughs> what they're going to do is they're going to steal a chest and walk and swim off and try and swim off and then it'll turn into a fight. That happens 99% of the time. So <laughs> this was the one time that someone reached out, they had voice chat on, and they were like, hey, do you want to team up and we'll go um, We'll go do one of these uh, islands together? And uh, we did, and it was weirdly moving. Um, I think it's just because of the kind of year it's been. But <laughs> the idea that, like, I don't know, we didn't know these people, but they were like, and even though I'd killed one of them, they were like, hey, do you want to team up and we'll, we'll go do this together and we'll form an alliance? And then we kind of said farewell at the end, like there was a kind of fleeting friendship, like a friend you make in an airport or something. <laughs> And it was it was just weirdly beautiful. It was kind of like I don't. Know, it was I think it was early on in lockdown, so we're probably all going through some weird emotional shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my nicety of these experiences. Here is just making a, a making a fragile alliance with some nice players, and then talking to them on the voice comms, and it not being like really uncomfortable. That was very nice. Yeah, very good. So, what's your number seven, Matthew? Uh, my number seven is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Mm, yes, another chunky Japanese RPG. Yeah, um, again, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd loved Xenoblade when it came out back in uh, 2010, shall we say? I'm, I'm a bit hazy on the dates. Um, I've, yeah, I really rate this game. Uh, this is the this was a Wii exclusive um, JRPG from Monolith Soft, 
which is a studio that uh, sort of a second part Nintendo own bought Monolith Soft many years ago. Um, it was fabulous back then, despite the limitations of the Wii. You know, it, it was kind of a triumph of art design over kind of graphical oomph. Um, it sets the world is set on the back of these two sort of titans who are, who've kind of been fighting in the middle of an ocean and have sort of struck each other a death blow, and and you'll see so you're on the kind of corpses of them, but you know where you're sort of you sort of start off down by the feet or on its thighs and then you kind of look up to its sort of mountainous heads and different regions or on different parts of the body but it's just huge the world is so big and the scale of it's so big and this version is like a big visual do-over so it's just you know super attractive it you know really bright poppy colors um you know takes what was already a great looking game but just kind of makes it all a bit better kind of close up um i really really rate this i think they are my favorite jrpg studio i think they're probably the i think they're the best jrpg studio you know basically since the kind of golden age of you know square enix's final fantasy golden age um like i feel that they're doing really interesting stuff they're making great games they're making them without too much fuss um they don't hype them up too much they just make these big jrpgs they come out they work they're full of cool ideas absolutely stonking soundtracks um and another part of this port is they've done big kind of orchestral um reorchestrations of of the of the music which is already amazing and you can flick between the two tracks as well it's a bit like the um that thing with the halo remake where you can switch between the classic and the new except just for the soundtrack um which is nice um yeah just a, a really great game more people should play it um uh, I'm interested to see what see what they do next because uh, I, I really like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which was a Switch exclusive. Uh, they also weirdly for this added a kind of a, a chunk of the game which was sort of cut from the original or was like a prototype for the original. Like I think they made this area to kind of like show to Nintendo this is the kind of vibe, and then that area wasn't in it, and they've kind of gone back and made that into a kind of proper epilogue to the main game. With you know they got the voice actors back in. You know it's a big you know like ten fifteen hour chunk of game, which is pretty good going considering they made this you know ten years ago. Um, yeah, I just think it's like a a really sort of definitive port that's just a really great way of, of of a real love letter to it they've smartened it up in loads of ways modernized it in in some key ways uh yeah I, I you know compared to i think maybe it stands out as being a bit shinier and better just because they we also had uh super mario 3d all-stars which i had toyed with putting on the list but it it was just a bit too basic as an actual you know i didn't really i didn't think they showed it anyway near as much love as they did xenoblade um so i'm rewarding xenoblade with a place on my list mm, yeah fair enough yeah that's uh, i i pondered mario too but uh people were even pointing out there are issues that like rom hackers have solved that nintendo has not um put into that new version of mario 3d all-stars and also the kind of whole arbitrary it'll only be available till this date stuff is kind of weirdly soured me on it um even though it's yeah a, it, they've it's it's strange because they've done this before Um, i think i talked about it on this podcast in fact they when they did the they basically just re-released like a rom of super mario brothers all stars Mm. um for like the 20th or whatever 25th anniversary of mario's birthday well it would have been 25th yeah 10 years ago um and it was just yeah really 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 flat and you know for a company which is so protective of its you know its ip 
um, it's weird how sometimes they stumble and, and don't show them as much love as they could. Um, I'm still holding out that they're going to secretly add Super Mario Galaxy 2 as a surprise to that game, but um, that would probably take some of the sting off it, but, you know, who knows. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, Super Mario 3D World re-release next year will probably be more in the vein of uh, a really good uh, Nintendo kind of like, uh, you know, sort of re-release. Yeah, for um, sure. I suppose then just like one more question about this game, Matthew. Like, I This is a series that I have thought about playing. In fact, I own both uh, this edition here and um, two. I was obviously planning to play them at some point and didn't. What are they most comparable to for people who are like who are interested in them but have never played uh, this kind of Japanese RPG. Yeah, so I they they take a fair amount of like MMO thinking in terms of like the scale of the world and the kind of just being able to sort of grind through these quests quite easily. I mean, mechanically it probably has a like a bit more in common with um like Final Fantasy twelve mm, in terms that. of it's like a real time combat system. You control one character. There are there's like a special bar you can build up where you take control of the whole party and kind of program in moves. It basically hinges around um, there are certain attacks that uh, can sort of stagger an enemy, and then there are certain attacks that can topple them if they're staggered. And once they're toppled, they're dazed. So there's this sort of big focus on this chain reaction of kind of toppling them and then really hammering them then so it's about kind of jumping in and taking quite um, manual control at the very precise moment i mean it's it's uh, yeah i'd say that that's that's kind of the vibe it's going for i think the the thing which really differentiates it from most jrpgs for me is this the world is so big and there's like a real sense of exploration, which I don't actually get from many JRPGs. Like I feel like you go into an area and it's quite fixed, it's quite small, like it's a very specific thing to achieve there. While here, like it really is, it, it kind of verges on you know open world in terms of kind of complexity of some of these areas, and you can do some weird platforming to find secret bits. It's uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's sort of huge scale, um, very kind of punchy, fast combat, um, not a lot of faff in it. It's just very to the point. They've cut out, you know, you can fast travel like pretty much anywhere in the world instantly. You know, it, it doesn't make you do a lot of busy work. It's it's kind of really on your side. Um, yeah, I just, I just felt like a studio, well, felt like Nintendo looking at, you know, the JRPG genre and saying you know, what are some of the kind of major reoccurring kind of kinks here we can iron out? And they did that, but mixed with this sort of balmy story and great soundtrack. Mm. Oh, good stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I will um, definitely play that at some point. Well, put aside 100 plus hours, it is massive. (laughs) It's a real kind of like a a one-off sort of studio for Nintendo to to own or work with, Monolith. Um, Yeah, just... uh, Sort of bizarre, but quite cool they have a JRPG developer. Yeah, I, I feel in a way that they're... Because graphically, what they're doing is, you know, not the cutting edge because it's on Nintendo hardware, which is a bit more limited. It feels like they they're, they're almost have the flexibility that Square Enix had sort of PS1, PS2 era, mm. where they were just making a lot of games. Like, Monolith Soft have made quite a lot of games in, in the same time it's taken Square Enix to make, like, two Final Fantasies. Yeah. They're just... They feel, like, very kind of um, flexible. They can respond really quickly. Uh, I mean, that's because they're not doing, like, absurd photorealistic things. You know, it's... 
you know, maybe they'll get to that point and it'll spoil them again. But right now they're they're in the kind of JRPG sweet spot. Mm, good stuff. Well, my number seven, Matthew, is Star Wars Squadrons. Uh, is this on your list? It, this isn't. I haven't played this. Yeah, I didn't think it would be. Uh, I I played this and liked it, but didn't love it actually. Like I thought the it's a Star Wars uh, space shooter, uh, kind of a simulation game, but it's not that complicated because obviously it is available on consoles. Uh, so everything you want to be able to do in that game, you can do using the controller, using the D-pad to move uh, sort of systems around, that sort of stuff, uh, controlling like how much you put into shield and speed and all that sort of thing. So it definitely um, evokes the older X-Wing games very well. And by pretty much every critic, has been called like a, a great modern successor, which I don't disagree with. I think I hope the story would be a bit better than it is. Right. Just off the back of playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order last year, which was a really strong little bit of Star Wars, I thought. It mm. just really felt like a legit part of that universe. The story re- did nothing for me this time. So you you alternate between the different sides, uh, Imperial and uh, Rebels, and it's set sometime after uh, the Battle of Endor. So... Yeah, but it's because it's a primarily a VR game, all of the story is pretty much delivered by people monologuing at you. Right. And it really reminded me of Anthem's terrible story bits, oh, where yeah, yeah. you are just witness to some irritating people talking, and mm. that and there's no real interactivity or sense that you're a character. So I expect they did this so it feels more immersive in VR. I have not tried it in VR yet. I have an Oculus Rift S at home. I should definitely give it a go. But... I nonetheless thought the story missions were very good, so it was a, it was really enjoyable just to see these kind of like um, nice, vibrant Star Wars locations um, and planets in the background while you're doing these kind of like basic escort, destroy this, get out quickly yeah, kind yeah. of missions. And yeah, really straightforward stuff. But um, I'm 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 glad it exists for sure. And they've in terms of multiplayer. I think I left it too late to get into the multiplayer, and now I fear going in and getting absolutely rinsed. (laughs) But they have added, um, well, they added it with launch, was just an AI uh, multiplayer mode, so you can just enjoy it offline infinitely if you want to. And so for some people that won't be enough, but for me it probably will, because I really just like this for the Star Wars-ness of it. I like being in an X-Wing cockpit and looking around, and that's exciting. And Mm. they've added more ships. They've just added the TIE Defender, which I think is from uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and the B-Wing, that really weird-looking spaceship from Return of the Jedi. So, yes, it's uh, they've definitely put some effort into it. It didn't cost much. Right now, if you're listening to this, I believe until the 7th of January, you can get it on the Epic Game Store for £12 or around $12, $15 with the Epic coupon they give you, which is uh, pretty cool. There's uh, free advertising there. They're not paying me. I should make that very clear. But (laughs) yeah, I thought, I'm glad this game exists. It didn't blow me away away as much as I hoped it would, but I think for what it is, it's absolutely worth picking up. Yeah, I I, I don't really have any kind of connection to those older X-Win games. I'd be a lot more interested in like, a new Rogue Squadron, or even what were the ones on PS2? They were quite good. Is it Starfighter? Yeah, they're okay. They're all right. Like, I, I I kind of prefer the arcade Star Wars to me because, like, I, I felt like that you can deliver the the kind of spectacle of Star Wars a bit more easily. I'm less interested in like the nerdy specifics of the ships. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm one of the few games journalists on the planet who can't name Star Wars ships. Yeah, you know, when people are like, "Oh man, it's a real negative point that this game doesn't have a." 
you know, at the time of launch a B wing or whatever, and I'm like, I'm, I, you know, no idea. I know what an X wing and a Tie fighter is, but outside of that, no chance. So you're basically subtweeting me IRL here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I like it's just a lot of my peers are super into super into Star Wars, yeah. and like it, it lights them up in, in the iconography of it lights them up in a way I I I wish it did for me, but I just don't have it. The ships are my least. I think. Dogfighting in spaceships is my least favourite bit of Star Wars. Um, so maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> I agree that it could have a bit more spectacle in the sense of, like, uh, Rogue Leader is obviously all spectacle. Yeah. The GameCube game that we discussed uh, in our first episode, I believe. Yeah, that was that sort of game. I, I missed that sort of game too. And Battlefront 2's campaign kind of hinted at it. But, yeah, it feels like no one's going to put the dots together and make that game where, where you fly in Star Wars spaceships but on cool planets. That's not going to happen I don't think, mm. but uh, it should. So what's your number six, Matthew? My number six is Gears Tactics. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, so this came out this year on PC and then later on consoles, is that right? Yeah, so it came out I think around March on PC and then it was an X, it, it came to Xbox when they released the Series X um, it is also on Game Pass. This is a kind of Gears of War meets XCOM, um, made by the Coalition with Splash Damage. Um, this was just the, the the most pleasant surprise of 2020. And here was a game that was announced at E3 last year as a trailer. You know, didn't have any gameplay in it, I don't think. No, you know... No one, I don't think anyone expected anything of it. If you were to say, like, they're going to do Gears of War, but it's going to be like XCOM, you'd be like, okay, whatever. Um, but this was absolutely superb. I thought the way it sort of married the kind of the kind of core appeal of a sort of turn-based tactics game with the iconography and also tone of Gears of War, but like tone mechanically this is the really interesting thing about this game is it's a super aggressive tactics game it isn't about the the tension and the danger in the in the way that i think xcom is it's about like momentum it's about skills that give you extra action points it's about taking one turn and stretching it out until you've killed 15 people with your squad of four it's somehow has that kind of rampage feel of gears of war but using the kind of mechanics and setting of of a of a turn-based tactics game which i thought was just so potent and enjoyable um it, i th- yeah I, it, I it may even be my favorite gears of war thing um just because the the kind of the setting looks great when it's kind of shrunken down i really like kind of little diorama games as you'll see with with one of my later picks um and uh yeah just it doesn't take long to have real fun with the character class in this game the, the skill trees are actually like meaningful you can push each each of the, the the four or five classes in quite interesting directions there's great interplay between them uh it's beautiful like it's so polished you know which XCOM i think is kind of as the kind of king of this genre I think it, you know it has grown a little kind of rough around the edges and 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 doesn't sort of feel the kind of the the sort of need to tidy that up. My next com Chimera Squad came out basically the same time and was so uh, ropey. I enjoyed it, but like technically ropey. This was like it felt like a real AAA version of this. Um, some people have been put off it because they're like, I don't like gears. You know, I like the kind of smarts of a tactics game, but I don't necessarily like the kind of 
bro action stuff of Gears, but this it's a really like killer combination of the two, and I think I think both Gears fans and Tactics fans will really get a kick out of it. That's a great endorsement. I've I've got to download it on PC and have been meaning to play it. Like I did, I did very much like how you, you said it doesn't really have much of the XCOM sort of out of level management stuff. It's just level to level intensity. I mean, yeah, that's that's almost something they could improve. Like it's it's pretty sparse around the edges, and you think, well, the the core of this is so good that like it wouldn't. It would obviously take some doing and some thought, but I can definitely foresee them making an even better version of this, which does do something more interesting with the kind of campaign structure, say, because the core of it is just they nailed it, in my opinion. Mm. And I, you know, I am genuinely excited when if 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 they should they get to do a Gears Tactics two, I think that could like be absolutely stellar because its weaknesses are so obvious and it feels so fixable um that yeah there's like no reason this this wouldn't be improved yeah quietly good uh few years for gears content uh yeah that's a like it's kind of kept its head down it's just getting good again like this was a series i'd semi written off but but this and gears 5 i i you know i love them both Good stuff, Matthew. Well, my number six is Mafia Definitive Edition. Oh, so I don't think anyone played this this year that I know, and it really. I, just... I did play it, and I liked it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, it felt like it just didn't get much attention, and then when the next gen consoles got here, it was kind of forgotten. And uh, yeah, it wasn't released on next gen consoles, and I was kind of curious about some of the games that released on current gen this year, but not next gen. I was there thinking, why not just have this on PS5? Then people will probably get more excited about it. But anyway. This was a remake of the 2002 game uh, Mafia, uh, City of Lost Heaven, I think was the name of the game, made by Illusion Softworks. And uh, this new version was made by Hangar 13, who uh, made Mafia 3. Not very well received entry in the series, but I believe was made very quickly relative to how ambitious it was. And certainly had uh, something going on in terms of the environmental detail and capturing the time period. So this is a really nice remake of that old game which was kind of like a more like a narrative driven more mission driven alternative than grand theft auto for example but it was still set in an open world it just wasn't the kind of open world where you were necessarily um killing pedestrians to see what the police do and making different systems butt up against each other you mm. could do that but it was more it was a bit too hard to do that the original yeah. and this is a really polished remake and a really it really makes me realize that you just can't play many games like this now that are just 12-hour sort of shooters, basically. Mm. And even though it does have some kind of bookend open-world stuff that I didn't, I couldn't quite figure out in the free-roam mode how to activate, It, I really enjoyed blasting through this story. I thought the cutscenes were really well done, and the bits of story I remember from the original Mafia, and there are some really memorable moments in that game, uh, including a, quite a famous ending that is picked up on, again, in uh, Mafia 2, this really just does it justice, I think. And, and it made me think that if Hangar 13's next move is to make a Mafia 4, and uh, uh, people thought from an Easter egg in this game they were hinting at that that was something they were going to do, I think they could do a really good job with it because the, mm. the shooting felt felt pretty nice, I would say. There's a bit too much spray going on with some of the guns in this game. But it was a re- as a kind of a cinematic, the cin- very cinematic presentation of it and the settings and how nice it looked. It was a really good looking game on PC, and so mm. yeah, if you've ever enjoyed that series, I think most people have probably played two out of the out of the series. This is just well worth picking up in the Steam sale this year. Mm. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It reminds me a bit of, um, or rather, this game reminded me of it of La Noir. Yeah, you know where you build a huge open world, but then use it for quite a linear, fixed story. But it it's just an amazing background for that story. Yeah, and I don't actually. Uh, Cyberpunk made me think about this too, actually, where it's like, well, how much does it matter if the open world in question doesn't really connect to the type of game you've made? And I don't think it matters that much because even in the games like. Uh, Grand Theft Auto you often end up in these kind of fixed locations which don't feel very open worldy and so yeah I, I think it's okay to just have a really nice backdrop even if you're ne- not necessarily using it yeah. um, or padding it out um, so yeah what's your uh, number five Matthew? My number five is Yakuza Like a Dragon mm. uh, is this on your list? No it's not I'm uh, I'm eight games behind in the Yakuza series <laughs> possibly more <laughs> So, well, this is a good place to jump in, because this is a new hero after Yakuza 6 wrapped up um, the story of, uh, uh, what's his name, Kiryu? Yakuza Twitter's going to be so mad at you, Matthew. Oh, I know. I always get their, I always get their surnames in the first time, Akazuma Kiryu. That's him, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, this is a new game, new hero, um, JRPG kind of framing to it. The kind of the narrative hook here is that uh, the hero of the game is a huge Dragon Quest fan and sees the world as a JRPG, which is how they justify combat being turn-based. Um, but it's done with like lashings of Yakuza humour, um, this great sense of style. It's a really good game about old dudes. Like, all, like the, the first three major party members you amass are all, like, 40-plus kind of, like, bozos, um, which I really like. It's like a load of dads trying to solve this big kind of conspiracy. <laughs> um, but uh, it's got this, uh, yeah, you know, pretty pretty basic JRPG combat, you know, in, you know re- really not very any more complicated than, say, like a Dragon Quest game, quite traditional um a few flourishes with a few like timed button presses to kind of block moves and add extra heft to things you know so it's, it adds a bit of a kind of an arcade sensibility i guess um and it's got this great job system where instead of classes you kind of get imp- different employment at the job center and your special moves are tied to your job so if you're the chef you know, you're like grinding pepper mills into people's eyes and things, and you use a little uh, one of those little chef torches that they kind of use on creme brulee to kind of set people on fire. And there's like an office assistant who throws kind of stationery at people and stuff. And the impetus <laughs> to kind of grind through each character and class is to sort of see what mad comic nonsense happens next. Um, and all this is wrapped up with. You know, it's got that amazing sense of place. There are side stories with little funny side missions. It's got a really good sense of humour. Um, surprisingly heartfelt. Kind of, you know, it's all these games are always about like super tough guys with kind of hearts of gold. Um, I just love that they've got. I just love that there's lots of old people in this game. Not just the heroes, but like all these aging kind of heads of Yakuza clans who are all like real badass. The game's got does wrinkly faces really well. Um, yeah, it's just, just a, a really a great yeah, a great jumping in place if you haven't played before. Um, really, you know, you know, big chunky game, take a lot of time. Very funny. Um, I liked it a lot. Does it still kind of have the disconnect that I think people like about Yakuza, where sometimes the cutscenes are extremely serious and sincere, but then it cuts back to the game and it's just like this is daft as all fuck, or is it like consistently kind of? silly because the main character seems like yeah, kind of fun loving the, the character is a bit more fun loving um 
so that's that that helps though he and it but it still has this thing where you have like a super intense conversation with you know oh i've dishonored you and i've spent 25 years atoning for this and you know there's there's nothing i won't do to kind of prove myself to you and then five minutes later you're recruiting like a lobster as a party member <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing i am um, if you were in this game matthew what would be your kind of like weapon of choice would you have like a like a rennie cannon or something oh yeah that would be good uh I'm trying to think what, what, what my what my prop is. I've, um, I've ambushed you with this. I should have I've asked got, you. I've got where. a terrible kind of like side satchel kind of man bag, <laughs> uh, which which uh, I carry around with me. That would probably make for quite a good kind of lots of spinning attacks. I don't really know what what a games uh, reviewer kind of ability would would be. Um, it's mean tweets. Uh, this, yeah, uh, uh, giving a four out of ten. You know, awarding scores to enemies. Well, there is a, there is a, uh, you fight these sort of social influencers because all the en- all the enemy classes are also like weird things, and there are these people who are like they're constantly filming the fight on their phone and things like that while you're punching them in the face, uh, which I quite like. Uh, there's some weird oily men who like lube themselves up and sort of slip around as well. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. That's cool. As someone who's um, only ever really enjoyed Yakuza from afar via memes, um, yeah, I'm pleased to hear that it's still going. And that this <laughs> yeah. one somehow managed to position itself as like the one game you can buy on Xbox One uh, Series X at launch. <laughs> uh, so yes, I uh, my number five, Matthew, is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, I thought this might be higher for you. Well, I considered putting it on most disappointing games oh um, right <laughs> it was a real i've got a real mixed relationship with this i uh so obviously it's a remake of the 1997 uh japanese rpg that was a, a mega seller and popularized the genre in um well the u.s it was already kind of on the up but it certainly in europe it popularized the japanese rpg and yeah it's uh this remake only covers part of the first disc and their way of doing it. It doesn't sound like they've planned out how many games there are. It's possible they're just saying that publicly and they do know how how big the project looks. I imagine they would probably scope that out because they're not they're not idiots. They're smart developers who have been making games for decades. And so this remake has been long anticipated. Um, I don't think it's much of a spoiler at this point to say it does change parts of the story. Mm. Uh, I think to the game's detriment. So really early on, they throw Sephiroth into the mix, which I think completely undermines the original game's very effective use of Sephiroth as an unseen threat. Mm. So you see things like um, the president of Shinra being like uh, has been like impaled, and then um, his son takes over, and then later on you see the Midgazolum that he's kind of killed, and I think he's wrapped around a tree, the giant snake that you find in the uh, uh, the kind of overworld. And I think by introducing Sephiroth early, they have basically robbed you of that tension, which um, makes me wonder if they truly know why the game was good in the first place in some ways. Mm. But in other ways, it really excels. So I think the combat is possibly Square Enix's best combat ever, a really good hybrid of... You can play it in real time, especially if you whack down the difficulty settings, you can play it in real time uh, constantly. However, I really enjoyed playing it, and I think either normal or the next difficulty up, and having it so I was constantly pausing and having to shift my material around and stuff like that. Right. It's a really good contemporary combat system that mimics uh, the feeling of the turn-based combat in the original game. And it's a real achievement, I think. There's a couple of weak, weak spots with it. I think that you get knocked down by enemies way too often it's, and they cancel your attacks, which is quite frustrating. I don't think they quite 
sorted that out. Mm. But they made all the characters that are in this game feel meaningfully different from each other to the point where it's like playing a completely different game so right um, barrett has uh, obviously got a machine gun arm so it feels like a shooter when you're playing as him he's probably the least interesting but some of his um heavy attacks feel really good to use mm. and um cloud is obviously your swordsman and uh, tifa is really well done in this game just a great kind of combo based fighting and the way she moves is really satisfying so they just thought long and hard about how to make those characters feel good and different. And it's it's a way that it's really enhanced over the original. Looks nice as well. Um, but I, I, where they're going with the story, I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to veer into uh, Kingdom Hearts-esque nonsense. Um, a few people have made that comparison, including the podcast Retronauts. Uh, so I don't want to make it sound like I came up with that uh, <laughs> comparison. But it really has the kind of whiff of we're going to do some bad lore. And it's going to be really, really annoying when all you really wanted was a Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah. And I don't think I'd necessarily object to them tweaking the original game because some of the tonal changes here are very good. But, yeah, I think it's um, future entries could just be end up being a bit naff and people just want to see all the cool places they went to in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, it's weird because I, I definitely feel the conversation around this, the stuff that I've seen people respond to most positively is where it's done a really good job of aping the original you know, I, I see a lot of people talk about the um, oh, sort of the stuff where he, he used to disguise himself as the girl and all that. The, yeah, that, the, um... that stretch of the game, I've seen a lot of people speak very fondly of, and that to me looks relatively unchanged, like as a general like structure. Yeah, I think the tone of it they tweaked to make it just like less. Uh, obviously, just it's a very old game, so it's just not going to date well in terms yeah. of the politics of it. It's really. Uh, just really positive what they do with it i think um, mm. yeah and still and doesn't set but doesn't sacrifice all of the the things that made that memorable in the game mm. yeah mm. but i w- here's a here's another um lockdown based point actually so this came out right at the start of lockdown square Enix even had problems getting copies out um in all countries at the same time so like australia had copies like weeks before it was out or something right yeah and I think I thought in my head, this game will save me from lockdown. And you know what? It was not Square Enix's responsibility to do that. Um, it was. I, I think I just had... My expectations were already high because it was the FF7 remake. But then I was also like, well, I'm stuck indoors now for months and months probably. This game will be the thing that saves me this year. It will, And I just... I, I went. My expectations were just way too high. And so... When the game does kind of falter, it has some bad side quests in it. Just real kind of like, go here, do that. Go find children in a town bullshit side quest. <laughs> um, it falls down. But there are loads of ways in which this is really good. And I'm ho- kind of hoping that the next few games, now they've established what the fundamentals are, they can just make content for it, basically. Make yeah. content for this cool combat system and make new uh, settings to explore. Um, mm. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew, what's your number four? That's where we are, isn't it? My number four is Doom Eternal. Ah, yes, it's higher up on my list. Well, we'll talk about it when we get to yours. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is Command & Conquer Remastered. Oh, not on my list. I didn't think it would be, yeah. It's, um, this was just a kind of revamp of the uh, 90s RTS games uh, by Westwood Studios. Basically, their uh, Petroglyph is the modern successor to that studio because EA, of course, famously closed down Westwood back when EA just seemed to buy studios and shut them in the uh, in the noughties. So it was really cool. I think they've handled it really well, actually, EA. They hired this producer who really fucking loves Command & Conquer to make this remaster in collaboration with the um, 
the old developers, but also using these really talented artists at a studio called Lemon Sky Studios, I think it is, to just to redo every single unit and tile in the game. And it's just a really nice uh, sort of like comfortable uh, blanket of a of a game. I just mm. uh, it was it was really nice. To, I played through every single campaign in Red Alert this year. I played forty three hours of uh, the remaster total. Haven't even touched the original Command and Conquer yet, but just playing re, uh, Red Alert and reminding myself of you know how kind of weird and wacky all of the units are. And mm. it's it's a it's really rare to find a game that is mostly composed of tanks and men shooting each other. That's got such a firm, funny like personality led sort of tone mm. i just uh, uh, it was so good at this um command and conquer back in the day so yeah uh, I, I i really wish i loved command and conquer because when i was a teenager like all my mates were really into it and i asked for red alert for christmas and i got it or birthday one year and i was so shit at it I was just so bad. I couldn't. I couldn't get through like three or four, past like level four of it or something. And that for me is basically like that. That experience has defined my relationship with uh, real time strategy games ever since. Like it's just a huge chunk of PC gaming I haven't engaged with because I had this, you know, experience with what is largely considered to be one of the friendlier, more accessible <laughs> examples of the genre. And I just couldn't do it. I just don't have the brain for it. Or I just, it, you know, I, I wish I'd learned to play those games early on so I could enjoy what are probably amazing things now. But, uh, yeah, brings back too many painful memories. I don't want those painful memories remastered. <laughs> OK, that's fair enough, Matthew. <laughs> uh, so uh, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is Death Stranding. Ah, yeah. So you played this on PC this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this was a game I bought on PS4 and played for a couple of hours. Bounced off it massively um, back then. Just uh, and 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 to be fair, like its weakest part is the first two hours. I think because it's so laden with cutscenes and all the the bad Kojima stuff. But once you get through that, you get to all the good Kojima stuff um, or the good Kojima production stuff because he's obviously surrounded by very talented people. Um, This game is the infamous delivery simulator where you play a uh, delivery man who is reconnecting the United States by moving between sort of disparate underground communities, delivering packages. It is a walking sim, but not in the sneery, dismissive way that people use it. It is a literal walking sim. The meat of the game is about navigating uh, rough terrain and balancing and and trying to uh, not fall over. So it's literally about the act of, of moving through the landscape. It's not like... I wouldn't say the simulation is super hardcore, but it's more hardcore than you're used to in probably any other open world game in that you can't just run up anything, you know, and the more stuff you carry, the more perilous everything becomes. It's about evolving a tool set and using that to conquer this harsh environment by placing down shortcuts, ropes and ladders that can help you. Um, And it's incredibly chill. It's absolutely beautiful. Like, it's just trekking through a really nice environment. Um... The story is is weird as shit, but like the more you play it, the kind of less offensive it it, it became. I find I found um, like actually kind of when you spend a bit of time with the characters, you realise okay, there's some logic here. It just throws a lot of crap at you right at the start. Um, yeah, just a really like singular thing, a great online sort of component to it. In that 
the things you place in the world bleed into other people's world. You're like, it's a big sort of asynchronous um, kind of shared experience. So you get this sense of all these invisible helpers because you don't see other people, uh, but you get a sense of that these invisible helpers kind of constructing shortcuts for you. And, you know, when you're running away from a monster and then you find someone's already been there and left a ladder in a perfect place, you're just like, oh, thank you so much. And it, it does create this sort of sense of gratitude towards other people you've never met. Um, I think it helped that, like, I obviously played the meat of this during, like, a review window when not many people were playing it, and a lot of the stuff I came across had been placed by fellow journalists, so they were people I knew in real life because I recognised them from their gamer tags, um, and it was just quite nice getting Twitter DMs from, like, you know, you know, tweets from Andy Kelly saying, did you build this zip line? It's really helpful, and I was like, yeah, I did. Uh, and uh, I did build, to be fair, I built what is i think is probably the best the best shortcut ever in that game where i built a huge zipline network to get you over a mountain so you could just sit on this zipline it would zip you up and over it was a really it was not only useful it was like a beautiful scenic route i put a lot of effort into that i spent a huge amount of resources making it happen um and i like that other people found it and enjoyed it um yeah it just feels like a much better fit for pc uh this game as well like i think what kind of bothered me early on was not that I, you know, obviously I bounced off those early hours, like I said, but I felt like a lot of the writing when this first came out with just kind of like people puzzled with it or kind of trying to get over the the hump of the kind of hype they'd built up for Kojima's next thing and actually having a little bit of distance. We talked about this last week, actually. Oh, no. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We talked about this on a previous podcast. I'm just trying to remember the timeline of our own podcast. (laughs) It was at some point in the last... Yeah, at some point I have talked about... um, this how having a bit of distance and letting that hype die down so you could just enjoy it for what it was and what it is i i really really liked um just really really good vibes this game yeah i um it's it's a shame that not everyone can have the experience you had where like they see their friends or people they know dropping Mm. stuff in the world because obviously like it it depends on enough people being interested in death stranding to play it i mean i certainly don't know many people have actually played it so yeah, I, I think I also really agree with the point you made about how um, PC players are a good fit for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I uh, I don't know if that's uh, necessarily because like there's sort of types of simulator games where on PC they kind of really thrive, like Euro Truck Simulator 2 and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it certainly feels like there is a strand of yeah so to speak that and, and the, like the building elements are quite flexible you know it's not like a minecraft where you can build anything but the fact that you you know you are pretty free to place you know some some quite sort of uh, environment shifting things around and it, you know it feels like you have a, a bit more kind of freedom and command and it doesn't explain a lot of stuff as well which um you know it just lets you sort of figure it out and it kind of trusts that you'll get on with it um yeah, it's 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 really really it's really really good. Um, this yeah. game, and I, and and I think lots of people have responded well on PC. Like you know, I always know on RPS, like the comments were really positive about this, and a lot of people were like pleasantly surprised. So maybe give it a go because it's it's not necessarily what you think it is. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about. I built a zip line, and it was such a rewarding experience. And to just make the calculation in my head of like, well, that must it's exciting to Matthew that that happened, but to hear it out loud, you're like how can this be interesting but yeah i will definitely um, (laughs) 
I, I will definitely uh, get round to this because I have it on PC as well, and it, uh, I hear the PC version is very good. So um, yeah, yeah, great, yeah, really good port. All right, good stuff. Well, my number three, Matthew, is Doom Eternal. Ah, yeah. So we're pretty close in how we ranked that. Um, so yeah, I played this on Game Pass very recently, actually, and. I think um, it feels, someone said it feels like it's from a parallel timeline to Doom 2016 where some of the same principles apply, but there's a lot of platforming in this game, which is quite bizarre uh, at first (laughs) to get used to because it's Doom. So you're not really expecting to do these kind of like jump over these chasms and cling onto these like walls with grip on them and then try and reach areas that way. So that feels different. Also, at the same time, the kind of resource management side of this game is very intense so yeah this was touched upon in the first game where you do a melee kind of finisher on an enemy is a i think um alex wiltshire on uh, rock paper shotgun described it as being like a resident Evil 4 kind of system where you knock an enemy back and do a melee attack and you keep moving sort of thing but um yeah the the kind of uh the sort of approach to getting ammo and shield and health in this game is just really kind of strange you just are constantly switching between i'll set this enemy on fire i'll freeze this enemy i will fire a rocket launcher then i'll have to keep moving for a while and just yeah and to stay alive and then okay i'll chainsaw through this guy and you're constantly going through the cycle of um sort of like uh things you have to do to keep moving and it works really well it just means that it feels like fiercely strategic all the time even though it yeah. can be unfair what did you make of it yeah absolutely i know I, I've, I've said this in a few places before but it's it, um what i love about that system is it kind of pulls you into that that combat in in but in a in a very like immersive visceral way uh and b like it just it demands that you play aggressively, which I don't in most games, particularly shooters. I'm a very cautious player, and everything Doom asks of you kind of goes against my natural instinct, but it kind of sort of teaches you to play it in the right way and teaches you to play it in this very different way and engage with a game in a, in a style which, I, you know, I look back on some of my footage in the videos and I think wow, this doesn't look like me playing. Like, I I don't normally move like this in games. Like, I don't have that kind of arcade reflexes kind of built into me. But, yeah, it draws that out, which I think is fantastic. I think compared to 2016, I think it just adds adds so much more to kind of further that game. I think the... There's a much uh, bigger focus on using all the weapons, which you didn't necessarily have to do in 2016. It's quite easy to fall back on a few favourites. Mm. While here, like certain weapons are just so powerful against certain enemies, and also ammo is generally sparse across the board that you are forced to just dig through every last bullet you have when you're really up against it. So I feel like it, it's a really good game at making you kind of play it, every bit of it that they want you to play. You know, it's like developers who really understand the heart of what they've made and have really kind of like sort of fenced you in that you have to connect with it. Um, I know some people are like super down on the platforming. So they love the action encounters and then all of a sudden there's this sort of weird kind of instant fail kind of monkey bar jumping across huge gaps. And like, I, I don't object to any of the platforming. I quite like the scale it adds to the worlds because I think that's the other flip side to this. It's just like the level variety and the art design is amazing. You know, it really takes you on a tour of like dimensions and planets and heavenly realms and whatnot. And it has this platforming so that it can do these epic environments. And they're not just backgrounds. You know, you can get flung across a chasm and then you're in a new place or whatever. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I really didn't bounce off that stuff. I didn't find it that dif- that difficult. 
the the platforming, mm. um, which is maybe why it clicked better with me. But yeah, I just, I just it felt like a more complete package than 2016. Like the the kind of framing of it with your little weird castle, sort of flying house thing that you live in, and um, like the mixture of enemy types and the environments. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought this was just absolutely great. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the uh, variety of environments. You got like ruined cities and like you say these kind of like heavenly style realms uh, that last level where you're being flung across massive chasms on some kind of like floating sort of space space yeah it looked like something from like halo yeah exactly so there's a, a real variety to that compared to the first game which is mostly sort of like facilities on mars and yeah some really nice looking levels in the first one but yeah i agree with you there's that verticality as people say to the level design because of the platforming so mm. yeah you, you feel like you're always having to move up and down different levels to kind of stay alive or yeah. to reach different places i actually thought the secret design in this game was fantastic as well so mm. i did every single optional encounter in the game and i did every i did all of those um empyrean key things i think oh wow hardcore yeah so I, I i really got into that and i i i found what i found hard at first i the game did train me into being good enough to do those bits and i really appreciate that kind of like journey as a player because even though your arsenal expands you're actual like skill set is the thing you need to step up to in order to be able to yeah. do those extra challenges so i love that and i love the way collectibles are Im- embedded in the environment they were real puzzles to get to sometimes just really cathartic feeling game just a, a fantastic job and like you say uh when you meet the enemies who require you to use say like you know the laser rifle uh, gun to knock their shield down that that sort of thing being made to think about like one enemy in the environment when there are like seven enemies chasing you and you you have to focus on that one enemy while you're being chased it's, it's such a great such a great pace to it i yeah. yeah they're fantastic i really hope they um i hear the dlc is good as well they've released yeah apparently rock. it's absolutely rock hard uh, yeah well i'm i'm well up for it then it's uh, that's um, the difficulty of it i just found annoying at first but really um yeah really enchanted by it by the end just mm. really enjoyed the intensity so uh yeah, great stuff by id Software. What's your number two, Matthew? My number two is Half-Life Alex. Wow, okay, yeah, I've not played this, um, but uh, I feel like many people have not played this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll say up front, I've, I've played a little bit of, like, VR. I've not played masses, you know, I, I'm not, like, a, a, a complete addict. Um, this is, like, by far, like, just the most complete VR thing I've played. Um, it kind of feels like... You know how like Nintendo just know their hardware inside out, and no one makes you know better games for their platforms than them. It's it's a very similar deal here with Valve. Like they just they just know this stuff. They've just nailed it. It's 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 so nice in the hands. And then on top of that, it's just a fucking great Half Life game. Like and a reminder of like what they used to do with these games and what they haven't done for so long. Um, how playful they are, how kind of compelling that world is. You know, you see all the kind of monsters and some of the characters and references or whatever, and you're just, you know, you're instantly there. And they've lost none of their kind of pacing smarts, the way that each level can have like a little mechanic, which, you know, some other developers would stretch to an entire game, but here they are throwing it away after 15 minutes. Except this time, it's like VR mechanics, which are like even more precious. <laughs> so to see them kind of throwing them away and just moving through it and toying with weapons. Um, at the heart of it, you have a pair of gravity gloves, 
which is basically just a fix for so many problems in VR in that you can just point at stuff and flick it into your hands. So there's no like having to fuff around and move up to things. You can just stand in a room and play it as a pretty kind of arcadey shooter, just pulling ammo and things into your hands. It allows really cinematic stuff where like you throw it and then you catch it in the other hand, slam an ammo in or whatever. It, it's uh, just a, 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 a brilliant power fantasy, but also a... Uh, you know, it understands that in a VR game where you have like total control over your hands, you want everything you can touch to do something. And it really does. That's the amazing thing is like if 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 there's an object there and you think it will behave in a certain way, you probably will. Like in the starting area alone, you, you sort of start out in this kind of greenhouse and there's all these like pens and you can pick up these felt tip pens and then just start like writing on the glass of the greenhouse and it's all like permanent and then when you wipe it with the other hand it'll wipe through the pen as it would on like a whiteboard and you're just like your mind is blown before you've even like seen an enemy or picked up a gun um it's got one of the best modeled bread rolls i've ever seen in the <laughs> game you can pick up this bread roll and look at it and rotate it and carry it around with you and see how far you can carry this bread roll through the game um uh, which i don't know why that stuck with me i just like bread um yeah, this is just, it's so good. And I always feel bad talking about it because I know that there's this huge like financial barrier to entry of owning a, an, a you know a decent PC and a VR headset. Um, if you do have one, like it's, ju- it's just as close to essential a piece of software as you can get, really. Um, it probably would be my game of the year if if it was if it just had that like if it if it wasn't i it's it's impossible one to say like if it wasn't tied to the vr thing but that is what defines it but at the same time i feel like there's a bit of a smug thing being like oh this vr game is my best game of the year um but Uh, yeah i I thought this was just oh so good yeah i don't know i think um the vr as discussed is sort of People are getting more and more into it. Obviously, there is a bigger barrier to entry with this than an Oculus Quest 2 game because you can't just play on a standalone headset. You have to have the PC hardware. Yeah. Weirdly, my barber played this game. And <laughs> I sort of asked me, oh, yeah, what do you do? And I was like, oh, yeah, sometimes I write about games and all this stuff. And he went, oh, yeah, I've just bought an Oculus Quest 2 and I've been playing Half-Life Alex." And he talked to me about you stand on the roof of a building and you look up and you look down and just just that alone just the experience of it is so well so well realized um and and also to see uh city 17 in that detail when obviously it's been you know more than a decade since uh, valve made a game set there and so we've never really seen it beyond the visuals of half-life 2 so uh yeah I, um, and you were I, just like cut my hand nerd <laughs> yeah just get on with it <laughs> you just lost your tip um <laughs> and uh yeah so uh i i will play it at some point matthew that's my value yeah and it, it, this will be this will be good for some you know that the gulf between this and anything else i've played is is so wide um that yeah this this will be solid for for a long time to come i think yeah fair play to uh valve for making a oh like, yeah rap as well oh i hope they make a half-life 3 after this i'm not one of those guys but like without spoiling it at the end of this it really makes you think oh they're into this world again like they're into this story they want to do more with it yeah. like it's a, it's a it's set up for more i mean god they're 
They are so good at this stuff. Well, can can uh, Valve make something that's not just some uh, Dota battle passes? We will see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, exciting stuff. So my number two, Matthew, is Apex Legends. Ah, oh, I was wondering where this was going to turn up. Yes, so this was one of my true lockdown obsessions this year. And I really just amazed by the what uh, Respawn was able to achieve while mostly working from home this year in terms of rolling out new maps, new characters, and uh, new content generally, new guns, rebalancing, all that stuff with no real delays. Uh, just phenomenal work. And it sounds like there were some tr- slightly troubled reports of how tough it was to work there early this year. But I believe they've been culturally changing to um, make it easier on the team because it's a real money maker for ea uh, apex legends which i was a bit surprised to learn because on pc even though at the start of each season it felt like there were was a massive player base it felt like it shrunk down to its veterans by the end of each season and so we were just sorted into brackets with either really good players or people using smurf accounts to basically like you know, one-shot one noobs all yeah. over the map. And so I'm not really into Battle Royale generally, but I think that having Respawn's expertise to bring the movement and the combat to life, you know, makes it feel like there are other games, except you're playing it with all these other players in a giant map. And that's the key thing for me, is just that sophistication in mechanics and... I think that Fortnite lacks that. Fortnite's not really a good shooter. It has all the Minecraft stuff I don't really care about. Mm. And it, even though I love a lot of the uh, pop culture that's being amalgamated into it, it's kind of a... To me, it seems more like a flavorless mush, whereas Apex <laughs> kind of have its, has its own tone. I don't... I mean, it's 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 not... The character designs are sort of... They're, they're a mixed bag, really. I don't think there's... Um, they have the kind of MOBA approach to oh, isn't it so wacky that this robot dances kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, variety of characters. But yeah, just a really great feeling game with really well-defined character abilities. And uh, yeah, I, I I played this for more than 300 hours this year. There was a point where me and Phil Savage on PC Gamer were just playing this pretty much every single night from about <laughs> sometimes... Uh, the lowest point, I think, was when I messaged him at 2am saying, are you around for a bit of Apex? And it was like, oh no, I've gone wrong. I've, I've, I've one hundred percent gone wrong while being stuck at home for months on end. So, but I burned out hard on it because there was a point where I was just finding the skill ceiling. The, the way they ma- they match make in the game is that you tend to win a game and then they thrust you into endless matches with super tough players until you lose enough games that you're bumped back down to. This is all invisible. You're bumped back down to players who are like more on your level. Mm. And then you might win another game and go up. So it it feels like you're just doing grueling game after grueling game before you can get to a game where you have a chance of winning. So yeah. I eventually just had enough of that. Um, but yeah, I, some of my best experiences this year were landing on the moving train in World's Edge and Apex Legends. <laughs> you love this. Up- the train and the, and the party boat I've heard oh. so much about. Oh, yeah. They were just hot spots to um land on at, because there's always good loot on them it's a moving train that goes around the entire map so that alone is quite novel i think in a in a sort of battle royale shooter but um landing on that train and punching it out with tons of other players and seeing who can land first who can grab the one gun who gets beaten to death straight away uh, who dies before they even land that sort of stuff like <laughs> 
it was just the drama of it and the hilarity of it. It was a real gift. I just loved that. And then they took out the train and the party boat from the game, which is, <laughs> I think, just such a stupid decision. I'm sure they have their reasons for doing this, but they took them out and made World's Edge a worse map. And that was also another point where <laughs> me and Phil actually both had this experience of like, we are too emotionally invested in this battle royale that we now feel betrayed when they make changes to their own game. So they took out a virtual train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep. I need to back off. It's fine that they've done this. Um, but yeah, I think this is what happens when a service game becomes like your emotional support through a pandemic. Yeah, for And sure. so it, it was inconsequential, really. But um, yeah, I, I will say I've had some phenomenal experience with this game this year, and I do really wish um, Respawn the best. They've made something fantastic, and hopefully over a period of many years, it'll just keep growing and keep becoming, um, yeah, keep exciting people. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that was um, a little, conf- I felt like a confession of shame there. I feel a, a weight has been lifted. Uh, so Matthew, what is your number one? My number one is Desperados 3. Wow, I did not see that coming. Whoa, there you go. There's my wild card. Yeah, um, not cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the real-time stealth tactics game by Me, 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 who made the wonderful uh, Shadow Tactics, Blaze of the Shogun, a few years ago. It is a um, kind of a throwback to, uh, well, Desperados, uh, but that era of like Desperados and Commandos, isometric stealth-based maps where you use colourful character abilities to sneak past vision cones, distract guards, stealthily take people out, hide their bodies. Um, this is... I, I There's several things here. One, I love westerns. I love cowboy games. Uh, and I really like uh, little diorama worlds in games. Like I said, with Gears of War, it's, it's it's like a personal thing. So to see all these Western tropes kind of shrunken down into these miniatures, that is just naturally very, very satisfying to me. That ticks that ticks a big box. Um, the other thing I really love about this game is the kind of the sense of interplay between the characters and the fact that you can freeze time and program in moves. You can set up these absolutely like audacious kind of stealth moves where you know as one pair of eyes is getting snuffed out you're dragging someone else into the bushes all this stuff's triggering it's the closest thing i've played to the sense of a kind of a heist being pulled off like clockwork um there's not actually a heist in the game weirdly but i felt like every level was kind of like that it's a really a a game that feels totally fair in the amount of information it gives you it's got this amazing interface that just shows you what everyone can see what everyone can hear what any particular move is going to do how things are going to behave it gives you everything you need to know to pull off these amazing things um yeah, it may be an odd one for, for a game of the year pick, but just to see something done so perfectly, I think it's the best of its genre. Like uh, you know, I, I have I have mild nostalgia for for the older Desperados and Commandos games, but for me, this was just executed perfectly. Plus the thematic setting, I, I really liked. It's a gorgeous game. Really takes you on a on an awesome tour of of all these western tropes um good character abilities this is they've added in this somewhat controversial sort of voodoo witch which a lot of people don't like because they're like oh magic shouldn't be in this game uh, but it's magic that's very kind of 
controlled and limited in the way that it is in like Dishonored. You can do some, you know, some cool things where you sort of attach two characters. So what you do to one, you do to another, like Dishonored's domino ability, and you can do some like mild brainwashing. But that you can have these immense powers, and it still doesn't break the game. I think speaks to the ingenuity of the developers. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought this was just perfectly done. Um, it's the game which made me just the most happy to to, to play through it. Um, you know, I've been picking away through it. It's got these, a great like objective system where you can go back and replay the levels and try and achieve different things in them. Kind of like in a similar way to Hitman. Um, weirdly, this ticks a lot of my Hitman boxes too. Mm. Um, yeah, and in a year of just chaos, this was a game about you know, like I said earlier, this is the metaphor. It's it's about kind of taking control and just really um, executing something perfectly. And I, I just, I just found it very, very rewarding. I, I think this is uh, about as good as it got for me this year. Oh, nice. Well, I, I do remember uh, Shadow Tactics being one of those games that was sort of like a kind of cult hit, and uh, I heard similar things about how nice it is to see, you know, your stacks of characters just pull things off in unison. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got this, and and uh, we'll give it a try. Is it a uh, watch format? Is on is on um, consoles? It's on well PC. PC. It's also on PS4 and and Xbox. I don't think it's on any of the Game Pass things. Um, but like, you know, buy buy this game. Tell tell me me me. You want more games like this? I think they're they're self publishing their next real time tactics stealth thing that they do. Um, so you know, I, I wish them all the luck. Um, I think they're just a, a really. Yeah, a really great studio. They really know what they're doing. They know what they like. Um, they're really sticking with it. Uh, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what their their next uh, their next sort of entry is. Mm. Okay, cool. So before I move on to my number one, Matthew, I'm really curious uh, to know that I know you played The Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima this year. Yeah. How come neither of those made your list? Um, Ghost of Tsushima, I I just fell massively out of love with it. Um, I thought it was a game that made an incredible first impression but ran out of ideas after about four hours and unfortunately there's tens and tens and tens of hours of it. It just, I just found like I was doing the same thing over and over again. I thought it was very boring mm. even though it had nice coloured trees. <laughs> I will give it that. Um, the Last of Us Part 2, like, I, I, again, I really liked it. I just thought it kind of, I thought it massively outstayed its welcome. Like, if it was almost half the length, and if people have played it, they'll they'll understand kind of why that it's a, it's a sort of game that doubles up for some story reasons. And I just felt that the second half of it was just too similar. It just was just dragging me through similar things. Um, I just thought I found it all so bleak. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like I do I do like. I do like Naughty Dog a lot. Um, I much prefer Uncharted. Like, I, I just prefer the tone. I prefer, you know, I like the adventuring spirit. I like the settings of it. I like the globetrotting-ness of it. This felt a, a little too one-note for me in that regard. Um, and also, I, I'm kind of a bit bored of some of their tricks now. I like, that there's some stuff that they've been over-relying on. You know, I, I like all the stealth, the sort of quite cinematic kind of punchy stealth that's all fine but it's the sequences where they go oh this is a narrative sequence and you're going to walk around a peril-free environment and press x in front of prompts and there's going to be some bespoke animation some comedy dialogue and you know it's the character beats which everyone else seems to respond really well to but i find incredibly smug i think they've i think they've driven that that thing into the ground it's basically ever since 
uh, Nathan Drake patted that fucking ox or whatever it was in <laughs> Uncharted 2 and everyone went oh wasn't that nice where the action stopped and he patted that ox and they were like right from now on it's ox patting for like a third of the game uh, you know it's the old oh they're, they're playing Crash Bandicoot in Uncharted 4 absolutely fine but then it's the oh you walk around the same house at the end of Uncharted 4 and I was like no thank you and I thought this game went so heavy on that kind of Oh, isn't this isn't this delicate? Isn't this a delicate special character moment? And you're like, yeah, it's incredibly boring compared to the rest <laughs> of the game. And I know that you can do this stuff and like find a new innovation. You're meant to be the cutting edge, and you're just repeating yourselves here. Um, yeah, so that's my thoughts on the Last of Us Part Two. I don't believe you were truly fine with um, playing Crash Bandicoot within. Uncharted well, no, not I at bet all, you were because, livid. Uh, you know, it's abs- it's it's a garbage game. So the <laughs> idea of these two people like I'm having such a good time, like absolutely no way. Um, <laughs> like if Nathan Drake pulled out like fucking N64 and they fired up a bit of two-player gold and I'd be like, yes. <laughs> but that would be very off-brand. <laughs> uh, listeners, now regular listeners of this podcast will know that I like to get Matthew to slag off PlayStation-era 3D platformers. <laughs> that's like... Uh, that's like a kink of mine, I guess. I just, I just enjoy. I just know that as soon as you get started, that's your fucking Spyro. How dare you exist, Spyro? I mean, Jesus. Oh, and that would have been a real burn if they'd gone for Spyro into the crash, and they're like, "Oh, this is great." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I must admit that I, uh, I played about three hours of the Last of Us Part Two, and I will play the rest of it. But I don't know. It just. I, like there's there's stuff in it that is amazing like t- from a technical level some of their level design i mean it's incredibly ambitious it's re- it is like powerfully cinematic while still being interactive in a lot of places but i just i i don't know i just felt like it was the greatest hits of stuff i'd seen from them before ah uh, well hey them's the breaks matthew them's yeah. are the breaks uncharted 5 please though i will play that yeah i mean hopefully uh it feels like an uncharted lost legacy sequel is the way to go there doesn't it mm. and uh yeah so my number one matthew is such a conventional boring choice i kind of hate myself for it it's destiny 2 uh oh, so... i actually i'd completely forgotten you hadn't said destiny 2 up until now yeah because we already talked about it a bit earlier but there's a reason i put this on the list so this year a lot of players will know that Destiny 2 was full of stuff uh, after a few expansions. there's a, There are a lot of quests and a lot of planets. And while it made the game feel quite amazing when you first turn it on it, and behold all of these different locations you can go to, a lot of the quests and rewards were a bit redundant. And so a lot of Destiny is just repetition anyway. So the idea that you were doing repetitive tasks to unlock pointless loot was just didn't really didn't really work anymore so this year uh bungie decided to uh shutter three planets i think and delete them from the game basically <laughs> um although if you've learned loot from those games so uh, you you uh sorry from those planets then you get to keep the loot in the new edition of the game but i think this is a good move because it really flushed out your quest log and uh in advance of them doing this for the uh launch of beyond light which is the latest expansion they essentially gave you enough notice to get things done but because raids are like the ultimate end game activity in destiny and if you've played an mmo you know what a raid is it's a big high level activity where you need multiple players six in the case of a destiny raid and you go through a dungeon solving puzzles and fighting high level enemies and destiny's raids are really really good content it's their level designers at their most imaginative mm. usually it involves some form of carrying a ball 
dunking it somewhere uh killing a, a like a big troll like enemy and then dunking another ball and doing it in a time frame before your entire party gets wiped out by the enemy you're facing there's a lot of those kind of activities but um i did every single raid in destiny 2 this year uh, minus the one they've just released with um with the new expansion uh with a group of people uh, f- around the summertime when i when i burned out on apex i kind of moved over to destiny as my well this will solve all my problems game mm. and um <laughs> Yeah, I, I must say it was a real pleasure to go through these. Some of the raids they've actually taken out of the game were really good, and I think it's a real shame that they're gone because they're, they're, they're just, they were fantastic to kind of figure out. I mean, in most cases, we knew how to do it because the other players in the party had done them, but the actual learning of the process and putting these very intricate, sometimes having to form a line so that a beam of light could pass through every single member of the party to kind of like <laughs> conduct with another side of the room. That's the kind of stuff that you have to do on the fly while you're also shooting loads of enemies hitting you from different directions and um yeah i I must say i really enjoyed figuring those out they were kind of they felt like team building exercises and they were intense enough that they they did tax me a little bit and i felt like a i felt like i accomplished something at the end um so yeah i I really uh really got to give it to bungie those raids are fantastic and um they also added a dungeon this year called uh prophecy which involves you kind of going across like a synth wave desert like lots of purple <laughs> lights and chasing like this big monster man and um there's a really fun room where you go into this room and it's like a cube shaped room you can see different parts of levels on every side of the of every side of the uh, sort of ceiling and the side of the walls and stuff and then you basically have to dunk colored moats into the into like one of the four arrows around the room to move to a different part of the cube and eventually once you've gone around the entire cube you fight the boss and you move out of the cube and then you've completed that part of it and then there's another part that's like a a basically rainbow road from um mario kart where you're taking your hover bikes across this giant sort of like outer space racetrack and you can fall off so many times and that doing that with um phil and tom who i play the game with that was that was so fun so yeah, destiny destiny's got a lot of horseshit in it there's a lot of bad quests and a lot of time wasted and pointless grind but um i found it a really good podcast game this year yeah and, um, yeah. yeah so it, it scratched several itches I, I think there's some real merit to it and even though there's a lot of nonsense in there and there's there are parts of it i just do not enjoy at all it's um yeah destiny was the game this year yeah, I I um I've only ever played like the very basic campaign run through of Destiny 1 and 2 and I love hearing about the raids and I'd love to experience one but I am just not willing to put in any time doing all the other bullshit before like you're ready for it and also just getting the group together. I'm very envious of it, but I think I can experience it vicariously through you, which is nice. Yeah, I'll always explain the things that happen to you if you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, always do. I like the fact that you had you showed me this like document early on, which was like your roadmap of all the bullshit you had to do to, <laughs> to, before they deleted it. That I think Phil had made for you. Yeah, Phil and went. it was and it was just hilarious because it was the work of someone who clearly played hundreds of hours and knew this thing inside out, but also just its sheer disdain for all of it. <laughs> You know, it was so dismissive. It was just like, oh yeah, you got to do this for ten hours, but it's crap. So watch out. It's <laughs> just like, oh, fantastic! Like yeah. this is its biggest cheerleader. <laughs> this is this is how they feel about it. I just, 
I, I know that its its magical bits must be so magic, considering that I know its bad bits are, are so unloved, and yet people still do it. Yeah, there are entire modes in the game that they either have forgotten about or they don't balance properly. So they've they've com- they've completely ruined uh, Gambit, which is um, one of their a really fun mode where you basically uh, two teams are doing the same thing they're trying to destroy this boss you have to do it by you kill enemies you pick up moats and you bank them in this moat bank and then um if you bank so many at once you send a big enemy to the other side which um guards their bank and stops them from um sending enemies your side so it's a race to kill as many enemies as possible right. send enemies to the side and you're, you're racing to get to the boss phase at which point you fight the boss but there's also a really cool element where you can teleport from one from your map to the other player's map and while they're carrying moats you can kill the players before they dunk um, in order to like get an advantage and you know i had a i had a just a couple of weeks ago i had a run where i went over with um xenophage which is this really powerful machine gun i have you can hit enemies at a really far rate a high range with it and i killed all four of their party members while they were carrying moats and the the sheer thrill of like appearing in someone else's game and killing every single human player without them realizing you're you're there or where you are mm. felt so good my heart races so fast when i go over there <laughs> but now they've made that mode um not nearly as fun it, it moves too quickly now and you can't really change the course of it once you're behind right but, right. but if it, but that's what an example of like the game is so big that they haven't it doesn't feel like they're thinking properly about how every element of it works each time they update the game so yeah it's definitely yeah it's definitely up and down and yeah the quest log thing was very funny phil audited my entire quest log told me what to keep what to ditch and um phil is like the biggest destiny fan i know and he will say yeah like you say entire parts of the game are bullshit so it's kind of like a queer eye process for my quest log like <laughs> i will sort your life out like uh, this is this will be good for your well-being to get rid of these shitty quests from year one of destiny 2 so <laughs> I hope um, I can convey to people at home that, like, I know there is a big portion of people who are just like, yeah, I'm a Destiny player, and then and Destiny is the thing, and whatever. But there was a real reason I fell in love with it this year. That just when you see that game at its best, it it, it is pure magic, and it is a good, also a good kind of like I will just listen to five episodes of this film podcast I like while grinding for a sniper <laughs> rifle I'd quite like to have. Um, so yeah, it fulfilled both those needs. Hopefully that uh, that conveys it quite well. Oh, yeah, I think you've more than justified it, Samuel. Lovely. Well, we'll take one more short break, Matthew, and then we'll uh, we've got one final uh, short section to go through as well. Hello, Matthew. Hello. So, what was the most disappointing game of 2020? I realise now that we should have done a whole podcast of you slagging off games that you played this year that you didn't like as much as other people, because that was quite fun for Ghost of Tsushima, <laughs> The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, most disappointing game? I'm, I, I So I've picked Resident Evil 3, mm. though, I, like... It was it was fine. I don't know if my expectations were were sky high. I often struggle with disappointing because I don't get too hyped for anything in particular. Like there's a couple of games I'd be heartbroken if they turned out to be bad, um, and and this wasn't this this wasn't one of them. Um, but I thought Resident Evil Two, the remake, was just so confident and exciting and brilliantly done. I thought it was a real kind of. I mean, I like Resident Evil Seven as well. Don't get me wrong, but this this felt like a a sort of return to form in in a different way you know it's the the kind of 
of, of those sort of third person over the shoulder, it's the best one they've done since Resident Evil Four. And I, I just thought, oh, this is this is a this is a team that's really on top of this. And I know I think it was a slightly different team working on Resident Evil Three, but I just thought this was really like flat. It lacked any kind of tension. Um, it felt really like linear and simple and. What I didn't understand was that the standout Resident Evil 2 for me is I loved the Mr. X stuff, mm. you know, where he was stalking you. And I thought, oh, when they get their hands on Nemesis, the famous stalking enemy, they are going to do some real amazing stuff with that. And he was shit. Like, he just turned up in these really scripted moments throughout the game, basically quick time events, half of them. And it had none of the brains, none of the smarts. I just, I just don't understand how they did what they did with Resident Evil 2, and then they made Resident Evil 3. Um, so I guess, yeah, the disappointment was that I thought that they were going to supercharge Nemesis into this, like, terrifying kind of, uh, you know, pursuit thing. You know, that would that would be on your heels for the whole game, and it just isn't that... Um, Maybe I don't know if it like I'm not as attached to Resident Evil Three, you know. I, you know, I know Resident Evil Two a lot better, so maybe it's I don't know if it's an inherent flaw of the game, but um, yeah, just this this one just didn't do it for me. I think I did see someone saying that there was one part of the original game they just didn't bring over, uh, and it's a very short game. This one too, I've not finished it, but I hear it's less than six hours long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and. It feels to me that Capcom earned all this goodwill with that, how good that Resi 2 remake was and then just threw it away on this kind of like also ran like extended DLC feeling thing that's attached to a shitty multiplayer game no one wanted. Um, yeah. Maybe that's harsh. Actually, I've not played that multiplayer game. It's 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 nothing special. Well, they, they've, they've always struggled with Resident Evil multiplayer, haven't they? They've never quite made that work. But I just think that why make that when you can just make a, another version of Resident Evil 3 that's as good as that Resi 2 remake that feels as full-featured and mm. well thought out and like you say that does something interesting with Nemesis because the Mr. X stuff is really bold in Resident Evil 2 remake. Yeah. They had to make that entire police station work with Mr. X pursuing you mm. so you could legit survive and still move around but the entire location has to feel cramped and quite small generally anyway because that's how it was always designed so it was a really yeah like you say it was the best Resident Evil third person game uh, since uh, since Resident Evil 4 so yeah it was exciting at first this is coming a year later but it feels like no one is talking about this game anymore no and, it just uh, just came and just like instantly evaporated yeah it's a real shame so whatever yeah whatever if Capcom decides to remake I don't know Code Veronica next hopefully they just they do a, a better job than they did here mm. um, but rumours are that they're re- actually going to remake Resident Evil 4 which seems uh, a bit pointless to me but um, yeah. it depends how they do it I suppose so, my biggest disappointment, Matthew, was Marvel's Avengers. Right. I didn't even finish this. I always thought this game was going to be bad after I saw it at E3 uh, <laughs> in 2019. I said at the time that Marvel's Avengers looks less than super on its first uh, first showing, which I think was my headline for the it's my a classic, first preview. a classic superhero headline. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, but it, was a, it was quite a critical preview. And, you know, it, during the hands-on phase, you don't always... Or not even hands-on, this is just the first look. You don't always see... Um, very critical previews of games yeah. when you haven't played them. You don't want to write them off too early because it's unfair. But I just had a bad feeling about this, and I think a lot of people did. That, that first trailer wasn't very well received where they did all the A-Day, San Francisco stuff. The character designs weren't well received. They felt like knockoff action figures. <laughs> and I think that is true in the game as well. There's 
they I don't know why the Spider-Man in Marvel in the Spider-Man Insomniac game is so spot on and yet these Avengers feel off brand. I can't work out why that is. I think it's just there's just some inherent when you look at them you have to believe that they're the superhero and for some reason with Avengers you don't quite do that. Now there are definitely things that this game does well. Um the portrayal of uh, Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel in the game uh, is really really nicely done and actually feels a bit like Spider-Man in places I think in yeah. terms of the solo storytelling but the very very poor decision to turn this into a Destiny style loot game uh, just a terrible terrible choice made it a different time obviously trying to cash in on a, on a genre that has kind of died off uh, people don't really want that sort of live service play it forever type of game for everything even yeah. like the division 2 kind of struggled despite being the best version of that kind of game that i've played i don't know why you wanted to do loot in your superhero game when superheroes don't have loot they just have their costumes and <laughs> yeah and they have launched with this very weighty plan they always seemed flawed to say oh we're going to keep adding free content constantly in the years <laughs> following the game and you're there thinking okay my dude but you have to make sure that the base game is actually good and actually exciting <laughs> and while there are things this game gets right i do think the superheroes all feel just um distinctive from each other yeah that's that's the thing i would say for it is they they are i think they do a reasonable mechanical job of representing quite a disparate group of heroes definitely they all they all like look and feel different and the um, animation uh, team at crystal dynamics did a phenomenal job they all look really good the way they move but um it just the types of enemies you fight are really boring just fighting these um aim robots and um that dude with a big head whose name i've forgotten who's the main um uh, the dr main, big head yeah dr big head that was it and i think it was telling that at the same time this game was kind of getting slammed by people pointing out how few players were actually playing it and the reports that it hadn't made all of its money back yet there was an event in Fortnite where galactus turned up and there were loads of Marvel superheroes running around. And you're there thinking, right, well, whatever Marvel was thinking, they've timed this event at the same time that the Avengers game is coming out. <laughs> um, but like disappointing, for sure. And so yeah. I don't know why... You could look at that Fortnite thing, and you can see the potential of an Avengers game. Like I kind of wish that the, there was a, a reality where this game felt more full-featured, had better enemy types, a better main villain in the base game. But then the kind of post-game thing is that okay galactus is coming so in in 12 months after we've added like six new superheroes galactus will turn up and that will be a raid that you do with like you know the, the full avengers team going together to fight galactus and that'll be the thing we do but... and his army of aim robots <laughs> but they never quite they just never really it never really felt like they had like they sold people on the dream of being in the Avengers in this game. And when you when you are with um, other players in the kind of co-op environments in the game, because obviously some sections of the story are single-player only, it feels quite janky and, and yeah. weird. You're, you're, you're like in the lobby and there's like a Hulk dressed up as a pimp because they've <laughs> unlocked the Hulk pimp suit. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, the, the loot doesn't feel meaningfully interesting anyway, but... No. I just think that there were so many mistakes made with this game. It's a real bummer because when you'd see that leaked list of characters they want to add to the game, like Captain Marvel and Spider-Man and Black Panther and Winter Soldier and War Machine and all these great characters you love from the film, it's, it just feels like it's never going to get there unless they manage to somehow turn it around with the next-gen console version launch. And mm. I'm sure putting Spider-Man in it will generate quite a lot of interest. But... Yeah, what a real shame that this wasn't a slam dunk. Based on the biggest intellectual property in the world right now, how did yeah. they get it wrong, Matthew? 
Yeah, it's it's sad. Yeah. So yeah, that was my disappointment of the year. But I, I kind of feel bad for the developers because yeah, yeah. I just want Crystal Dynamics to reboot Tomb Raider again. I just like Tomb Raider. You just like yeah, exactly yeah. You just want uh, like a, another very puzzly Tomb Raider. I just want them yeah jumping around them tombs. I want to go around the world. I basically want Uncharted Five also from them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. Um, so yeah, Matthew, what's on your pile of shame uh, that you're going to try and tick off in 2021? Uh, uh, well, I, well, I don't know if I'll tick this one off, but like Animal Crossing New Horizons, I just didn't play it, and I felt like I missed out on the on the whole conversation there. But I wouldn't say it's like I don't think I will go back and 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 play it um, at this point. Uh, I think I sh- I feel like I should probably have played Final Fantasy VII Remake because it, it feels like in in the end of year discussions it's the game which pops up the most that I just don't have a take on at all. Like I watched Catherine play bits of it, but sort of switched off because she seemed to be squeezing through a lot of tight gaps to to find urchins, <laughs> and I thought. Mm. Quite why this this isn't for me. That is at least ten percent of that game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't have a massive attachment, admittedly, to Final Fantasy VII, but I feel like I should probably give it a go. Um, the thing I probably will delve into at some point in the holidays, or maybe I'll leave it until they fixed it with a few patches, is Empire of Sin, mm. um, which is the kind of gangster prohibition era uh, strategy game uh, from Romero Games. Um, uh, yeah, I you know I love gangstery stuff. The idea of a kind of strategy game meets the Untouchables with kind of XCOMy bits, where you've got little hoodlums running around shooting each other, Tommy guns. I love the pitch of this game. I was really really excited um, for covering it, but uh, by all accounts, is it's slightly rough around the edges at launch. So I'll let I'll let them tidy it up in true kind of paradox fashion and um, give that a go. But on, on the whole, there's not a lot of things where I feel like. Oh yeah, I, you know, I, I missed out on on anything. Yeah, I missed out on loads of stuff this year. So <laughs> I did, I did kind of avoid big single player games while I was, you know, investing time in um, the Apex uh, and Destiny nonsense. But that's coming to an end now, and I have started playing Ghost of Tsushima, and I will play The Last of Us Part Two. Though I was hoping they'd add some kind of sixty frames per second patch um, to it, uh, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, or at least not soon. Um, Another one I bought this year, and here is good um, from a friend, is uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, oh, yeah. which is by Vanillaware, the developers of, uh, well, they've developed loads of cool kind of older games from like the PS3 generation uh, and earlier, like Odin Sphere and um, Muramasa the Demon Blade, uh, which I'm sure you covered in uh, lots of detail on Endgame, mm-hmm, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so they returned with this game that's apparently like a hybrid of, or it kind of is like a visual novel primarily mm. but um has a lot of other interesting stuff going on so there was also just a polygon piece that went up about this saying the best playstation exclusive uh, game of the year um is something you haven't played yet uh, it was a more eloquent headline than that but i don't remember what the headline was um so yeah fancy playing that and uh, Mars Morales, Spider-Man, I've just retrieved my PS5 from my girlfriend after lending it to her for a month, looking a bit touch and go on whether I get it back, but um, it has panned out, so uh, yeah, I'll play that. Um, so yeah, Matthew, my one final question um, in this last podcast of the year that we're recording, what will 2021's best game be? Oh, God. I... Oh no, I've been really struggling with this one. Is it going to be another Hitman answer? I, I, well, I, like the game I'm genuinely looking forward to, and it's pretty because it's quite immediate. Is Hitman Three? Yeah, that's 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 super high on my list. Um, 
there's there's quite a lot of vague dates and stuff you know like if they were saying breath of the wild 2 is 2021 which i don't think they have um surely though surely i mean if it, well if breath of the wild 2 let's let's say theoretically that is coming out in 2021 um that is that is the game i'm most excited for um i'm so intrigued to see what they they do with that game you know given they've got this huge open world will they go to a different open world will they change it radically in some way will they you know reuse the same space in some clever means you know i i I have i just i have no idea how they follow that up because it feels so complete to me um i'd love it if they put in some ocean stuff like i i'd I'd Mm. love to have a mix of breath of the world and and wind waker um you know maybe branch out the area the 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 world that way who knows but um yeah zelda theoretically of what we know is coming hitman 3 for sure yeah it does feel like there is it's been a fairly quiet year for nintendo in terms of big new stuff yeah uh, obviously it's had the hyrule warriors age of calamity launch but they didn't develop that so i think people are curious about what their in-house studios are working on um, beyond animal crossing mm. so yeah I, th- I agree with you on zelda but I, I don't know do you think we could see a 3d mario this year i don't we are i i like because they released so many things close together at the start of switch mm. i think whatever happens is that when they start coming i imagine we're going to have a tidal wave yeah. so you you know you'd think oh we're going to get you know we're going to get another 3d mario we're going to get zelda probably going to get another mario kart you know like a proper follow-up to eight because you know they only did the redo of eight on on switch it wasn't original mm. um I just feel like they could hit you with a second, like, golden age within Switch. Oh, wow. It would be amazing if they did. I mean, yeah, I mean, Super Mario Odyssey 2 feels like a, like, they'd be mad not to, like, the love for that game, and it was so critically well-received, and it sold so well. I mean, you know, they did it with Galaxy 2. I, 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 yeah, I... I hope so. I hope next year blossoms into an amazing year. Um, I'm not holding out much hope for Metroid Prime 4 because apparently that's still like in nightmare development town. But uh, Well, uh, my choice, Matthew, is going to be Deathloop from oh, okay. Arcane Studios. This uh, looping timeline assassination first-person game. So this, the Dishonored series is just uh, kind of peerless. I think uh, it's the same developer, um, Arcane Leon, making it. So I think that that is just going to um, wow games critics and then sell no copies uh, like Dishonored uh, seemed to do. But um, yeah, I think that uh, they just always make really sublime first-person games in lovely environments with really intricate systems. They are masters of that, so mm. very uh, excited to see that. I uh, my only tiny concern with that one is that it seems a lot more action-focused than before. Mm, I wonder and, if they're just selling it that way. Well, that's yeah. I I don't know. I mean, definitely, the, you know, the trailers have shown lots of like you know machine gun and you're running and you slide and you shoot a guy in the head or whatever. And I wouldn't say like like gun feel and and kind of action is necessarily their strong suit. It's interesting because uh, when you watch a lot of the um, sort of dishonored, uh, I don't know, like uh, speed runners, they. Uh, Run, run around like they are Spider-Man, basically, in terms of their movement. It's pretty phenomenal to watch. They're yeah, quite big I'm, into the acrobatics. Maybe I'm just shit-sit. <laughs> no, no, I am too. But I wonder if they kind of looked at those and thought, oh, what, what if we did make an action game that had this kind of pace? But uh, yeah, I do agree with you, actually. The shooting is not really why you play Dishonored. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm just intrigued. I'm sh- I, 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 I like you. I have total faith based on their track record. But I am interested to see how that game actually like feels, you know. Mm, absolutely. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us for what turned out to be another super long podcast <laughs> as we counted down some top tens, but hopefully you enjoyed it. And uh, yes, we'll be back with another episode in a week's time. We release new episodes on Friday. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to subscribe, that'd be great. We uh, can be followed at Backpage Pod on Twitter. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Matthew, you are. I'm Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. You can also email us your thoughts at backpagegames at gmail.com. If you send us correspondence, we might read it out. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>